Why? Why are the innocent punished? Why the sacrifice? Why the pain? There aren't any promises, nothing certain. Only that some get called, some get saved. She won't ever know the hardship and grief for those of us left behind. We commit these bodies to the void with a glad heart. For within each seed, there is a promise of a flower. And within each death, no matter how small, there is always a new podcast, a new beginning. Amen. I, I, sometimes I'll watch the quote as you read sure. it. And I'm kind of like, he's running out of words to, to throw in podcasts. I know exactly where to well, put it. I figured it. he did. Yeah. Um, you were wearing sort of sort of his glasses right now. He's kind of got those gla- Griffy glasses on. Yeah, Charles S. Sutton in this movie, huge Griffin Newman vibes. <laughs> major, yes, major Griffy energy. I just watched it and I went, God, it's so nice to see myself reflected on screen. I just kind of have a God. Can we just all fucking stop fighting energy sometimes? Which is I sort of Griffin. That. It would manifest very differently, I think, coming out of me. Out of you, you don't think people would just like shut up and listen to no. you? No, <laughs> immediately. What undeniable command he has of this room? A bunch of hardened convicts wouldn't be like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, this is like such a, an astonishing performance from him. Love him. Where every time I watch this, I'm just like, this is kind of like one of the great supporting performances, period. I mean, I feel like you are, okay, so, jeez, we need to acknowledge. I, I, I need to have some gravitas here because, of course, this is the start of a new mini-series. And, but, of course, we've covered this film. There, uh, there's a lot of things um, to set up Because we, we did yeah. do alien commentaries in the pandemic. What, what, what even is this, David? What I know, is this? But I just want to say, I just remember your, your reverence for Dutton yes. then, and it clearly right. endures now. Right. That's all. At times, I have thought he might be, and this is this is boiling hot, and I don't know if I stand by this today, but I at least think it's in the conversation. The best performance in any Alien movie. You think this is the best performance? I think it's in the you conversation. You think you want to have that conversation? What about Sigourney Weaver? I was going to say, I think Sigourney Weaver is <laughs> the best performance I think in kind this of, movie. I, I agree that I think you kind of got to give it to her. But I think if you if you remove Ripley, if you go non-Ripley okay. performance. Okay. So sort of like, who's your favorite Simpsons character that's not in the Simpson family? And a franchise with incredible performances in, in basically every movie. If we're not counting the Vs. If we're counting proper aliens. Yeah, I mean, I probably have a, a few people ahead of Dutton, but just a... Yeah. A, 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 yeah, it's an excellent performance. Right. Each, yeah. each of these movies has basically at least two slam dunk supporting performances, Right. It's a good showcase for exactly that. Right. And Resurrection's the weakest of them. And even still, you're like, Perlman's kind of on fire in that mm-hmm. movie. What were you expecting? Hedaya? Santa Claus? Yeah. Well, the most normal, relaxed. <laughs> I don't know if you remember I Resurrection. I definitely speak English. I haven't seen it in a little while. Dominique Pignon, who I do believe basically uh, was just phonetically reading a lot of his lines. Right. Yeah, they put peanut butter in his mouth. Re- reading the- Joss Whedon's, you know, verbose uh, witticisms. At one point says, what were you expecting, Santa Claus? Except he says, it, what were you expecting, Santa Claus? Like, there's, he just there's, doesn't know what he he's saying. No yeah. His character's in like a bionic wheelchair, right? And the bit is that there's like a thumping from the other side of the door and everyone's like prepped with their guns and they think the alien's going to come through and the doors open up and they're all like, woo. And then he says that line, which is supposed to be kind of a weed and throwaway. And he does say like, what were you expecting, Santa Claus? What were you expecting, Santa Claus? Obviously, this is not from the film we're discussing no, today. The not are, relevant. Listen, let me get a bunch of stuff right out of the way. This is Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It is a podcast about filmographies. Directors who experience massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce. Baby, this is 
start of a new miniseries. We're covering the films of David Fincher. It is called The Curious Pod of Benjamin Buttcast. <laughs> That's right. You're, you're damn right the it is. Curious Pod of Benjamin Buttcast. There was some initial, oh, oh the curious like uh, pod of... Benjamin Cast, but uh, Caston or well, something. I don't know. Look, you could do an obvious, uh, uh, the curious uh, cast. That uh, was it, right? Was I it. mean, it's one letter. Benjamin Potten or whatever. And you were like butt cast. Butt cast. And I was like butt cast. Butt cast. Yes, indeed. Butt cast. <laughs> yes. Welcome to the curious pod of Benjamin Butt cast. But I could cast. say that. Who were you expecting? <laughs> Benjamin <laughs> Butt cast. <laughs> Benjamin Butt cast. <laughs> What's that guy doing? Dominic Pignon. Yeah. I think he's, he's still chilling. in the Junet movies that no one watches anymore. Um, he hasn't done a movie since 2015. Really? Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was TV. He does more movies. He's okay. working. Yeah, yeah. he's what 68 if, years old. Hey, one of the but he was certainly in uh, T.S. Spivet. Yes. That, that, that Junet movie? Yes, yeah, and he was so, in yeah. uh, Micmacs. Was he in Micmacs? Was he in Micmacs? Uh, yes, I was in Micmacs. He's done nine films with Jean-Pierre yeah. Junet. Wasn't he in Tell No One? What word are you saying? What was the word you just said? He was in some fucking French thriller that had like crossover success here at the States. Tell No One? What? Yes. That's what I'm questioning. I said, I, was I'm he not seeing Tell No One. He was in something. What were you expecting? What were you expecting? I love that guy. Do you like that guy? Dominic Pino? I know we're here to talk about Fincher and Alien 3, but do you like Jean-Pierre Genet's films <laughs> okay. of the 90s? Let's slap down like a quick 30 minutes on Pino. <laughs> Delicatessen's really good. That holds up. I watched it in the pandemic because yeah. I was trying to do like sort of dystopia movies, I think, uh -huh. for some list or whatever, and it's sure. a great dystopia movie. Have you rewatched Amelie? Uh, you know what? Not in years. That That's is... a movie that has only grown in my mind. I was a right. cynical teenager about it. Yes. When it came out, yes. and I was like, I'm smarter than this movie, and uh -huh. I don't need whimsy in my life or whatever. And later, I have sort of just been like, well, that movie is beautiful. Like, like visually, yes. so I, beautiful. I'm, I'm very curious how it would play for me on rewatch. I was a whimsical teenager <laughs> who loved it. How do you feel about Emily Matt? We're going to introduce I'm you, like, don't worry. Yeah. Okay. No, it's fine. I should be anonymous the whole time. I don't no, care. No, no, no. Uh, Absolutely not. I, I, I also promotes. have not seen it in decades, Like perhaps. 20 years, yeah. probably. It's been a while. That, Amelie. That, that is a great point, though, David. Mm -hmm. We have a guest on today who is not part of SAG or WGA and thus can promote he can promote his upcoming like, works. Like That's crazy. Right. That's yeah. right. And I assume you will be promoting like crazy. Every possible chance. Um, introduce our guest. Our guest, returning to the show, the author of the upcoming Opposable Thumbs. That's right. Matt Singer. <gasps> He's reaching into his book. He's reaching into his book. What does he have here? <gasps> a copy oh, of very nice looking copy. This is, this is a video, right? So everyone can see the Absolute. cover right now. Uh, Perfect. Yes. I'll leave uh, it right it's about there. To what, 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 uh, what is the actual release date of Opposable Thumbs? Uh, October 24th. Okay, so it's okay. out in about a month from now. Yes. Um, but you can pre-order it. Absolutely. Which I know is very crucial to the success of... Mm -hmm. Books. Yeah, especially mine. Especially and yours? As far as I'm concerned, oh, it's sure. especially right, 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 important. It's most important to pre-order your book. Exactly. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's the message we're getting across here today. Um, so you are here with us, Matt. To talk uh, about launch Janae the and Al mm -hmm. No, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yes, the thing we're trying to set up here is new miniseries, Fincher. David Fincher. On our the Patreon. filmmaker David Fincher. Blank check special features. Yeah. 
we focus on uh, film series and franchises uh, rather than uh, directors yeah. as our sort of grouping. The Venn diagrams overlap. Sometimes. We try to pick franchises that maybe don't have one strong auteur throughout all of them because right. those are the kinds of things we usually like to keep for yeah. main feed. So we did in 2020, a perfect year. One of the all-time best A great year, year with no issues. Yes. Put it on the Mount Rushmore of Especially years. the part, uh, the later part of the year, which is when we did this. Right. Those first three months, boring. Right. 2020, you know, January, if you're like, nah, right. nothing's going on. Like, right. everything seems okay. Our three franchise series were Toy Story, uh, Mission Impossible, and Aliens. And uh, what did we do after that? After that, I think we may have done Mission Im- Oh, no, you said Mission Impossible. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I can look. Whatever we did after Aliens. I don't know. Uh, but, like, Mission Impossible, Aliens, perfect examples of franchises that uh, have auteurs, but do not have one definitive right. director. We, of course, checked in with our, our pal, Croc Mr. Dundee. Crocodile Dundee. That's what it was. That. that was oh, our normal Our normal 2020 was Star Wars was the last thing we recorded pre-lockdown. Mm-hmm. And then we did Toy Story, Mission Impossible, Alien, Croc Dundee. Right? Uh-huh. Um, All the greats. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The, the big four. Now, the ones Mich- that loom largest in <laughs> my mind Ethan personally. Hunt, Alien, Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. And Mission Impossible and Alien, in both of those series, we had to cover a movie we had already covered on sure. main feed. We did a second go-round on Ghost Protocol by yeah. Brad Bird and Aliens. Aliens by Cameron. And we said, well, should we not do this because of Fincher or maybe someday? And what we said on Mike, I don't know if you remember this, I do David, remember this. Remember it very was, well. Was, well, if we ever do Alien 3. Yeah. We'll talk about the assembly. Cut. We'll do right, we'll, for, here. We'll watch the original cut because right. it's the more widely accessible. Yes. Um, but then when we do the real episode, we can obviously delve into the assembly cut. So is that what you watched? Yep. Matt, Matt I watched w- both. Though. I rewatched watched both. both. Cool. Like a good guest. Like a great guest. Um, yes. I have seen the original cut many times. You know, maybe not like dozens, but like sure. a couple times. So I mean, I'm yeah. pretty versed in it. Yeah. And I'd only seen the assembly cut, I think, once before. Yeah. Because I watched it when I bought the correctly and logically named quadrilogy box set. A thing we've talked about many times uh, ruined our generation's brains forever. It implanted a word <laughs> that does like, not exist. It face-hugged onto a generation. It did. Forcibly implanted a, a nonsensical word. Right. And it's just like, you can kind of tell, it's a good way to identify like-minded people. Mm-hmm. If someone else says quadrilogy, you're like, you were really into physical media in 2003, yes. weren't you? You're right. I say that word. Of, I, of course. Quadrilogy. Of course. You're right. a like-minded person. Mm-hmm. It's almost a handshake. It is. It's like a secret code. What do you call four stories? Obviously a quadrilogy. And you're like, and you had the box set, and did you watch it with mother mode on, or did you? <laughs> God, back in the day where they were like, your DVDs should, it should be hard for you to watch the It should the be work. Because I saw be... you posting about the yeah. Memento DVD, yes. which I, yes. which is the first thing I ever bought on Amazon in my entire life. Wow. The special edition Memento yeah. DVD where you had to go like, man, film, play, God. You know, yes. like you have to like go through these notes. You literally like... had to print out the instructions and like keep them with the DVD. Otherwise, yeah. it was a useless cool. So irritating. Cool. Um, yeah, cool. Did you have that thing? And it uh, also, if there's a secret way to watch the movie in correct order, yes. right. quote unquote, I was uh, chronological. Right, order. I was less of a memento guy than you were. I now am tempted to buy that DVD just as almost an artifact to like play the game of it. You, 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 know? you can. You'll, like, you'll have, have minutes of fun. I have memento on <laughs> on Blu-ray if I want to watch the movie. But it's the same way like Panic Room, which is famously not on Blu-ray, and we'll talk about when we get to that episode. Sure. I I tracked down and rebought. 
the old three-disc edition of that that is the most comprehensive special feature package for any movie ever. It was just peak DVD Fincher being like, every single second of this will be documented. Um, Absolutely. I tried to watch this movie this morning. I think I made a tech balloon. I watched the movie. Okay, good. Uh, I think the mistake was... uh, I went like, let's go full bore everything, right? Oh, Let me activate like basically this everything you always do. this Blu-ray could do for me at once. Uh-huh. So I did uh, the assembly cut. Mm-hmm. I put on subtitles for the commentary track. Okay. Uh-huh. So I was uh-huh. listening to the movies. I, it's not Fincher? Because he Correct. didn't. Right. He didn't want to be involved. He has right. nothing right. to do with any of those right. features. He's very right. scarred by Alien yeah. 3. Right. And then there's we'll a commentary track that. that feels like, I can't tell if they're all in the same room or it's editing between a couple commentary uh-huh. tracks, but it's like uh, uh, Dickie Edlin from Boss Film. It's the cinematographer. It's the editor who pretty put sure together the assembly cuts. I listened to it at yes. one point, and it's, I'm pretty sure it's separate audios yeah, blended sense. together. That they mushed right. together. Yes. So I was like watching the movie reading the transcript of their commentary. Seems a little sensory overload. And then I put mother mode on. What, what exactly is, is Fincher intended yeah, is what you're saying. <laughs> it's like M-U-T-H dot R mode or uh-huh, something. Uh-huh. And it is like, it puts like a weird Waylon yutani grid around the film in yeah. which it basically does pop-up video. Why would you need, you don't need it. You and like know all cuts this away stuff. to little featurettes, but also gives you like pop-up like uh, trivia track shit. So and you I made it d- about 10 minutes in two hours. Oh yeah, I felt like I was, uh, to, to invoke the recently released uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, when when Gabriel goes into, like, the entity tank. Yeah, he's in the coffin of, of information. Right. Yes, yes, Whereas, sure. like, so much is being thrown into <laughs> right. process, any of it. You emerge and you're like, there is only one movie, Alien right. 3. I have not seen any of that movie. Right, right. Uh, but I, I have always unabashedly loved this movie. Um, sure. Okay. I think the assembly cut is uh, better while not being perfect. I think it falls a little bit our, into our that. Our guest might disagree, which I'm very intrigued by. I, I saw ca- him I kinda, floating that idea I kind of do disagree. Interesting. Yes. But we can talk about it. We can. Yeah. And our feelings on this film. Here's my take I came around to watching it this time. Because I had always just been like, well, obviously assembly cut is better, right? Uh-huh. This time I viewed it more like uh, uh, Zach, the, the Snyder cut. Where I was like, this is interesting to sort of watch laid out all the pieces of the intention. Right. It doesn't totally function as a movie. Alien 3, for its like sort of muddled form, is more properly. It's a a blockbuster film about an alien in a prison. Right. And partially because like it, Fincher had no oversight over the assembly cut. It was just a team a decade later trying to like put together something closer to his first assembly, which is would not have been his finished film, was just what he presented to the studio before they pushed back on him. It's just kind of like cracking open the notebook, you know, and seeing like, here are all the alternate versions of the scenes. Here's how it was originally assembled if you just put everything in order from top to bottom. See, and that's why I kind of think that the theatrical long. cut is better. It's because it does feel like a, like a rough cut to me. And it does Absolutely. it does improve certain things, but I yes. think it weakens other things I and creates other problems that were the, the the theatrical cut has problems. Yeah, the assembly cut solves some of those problems while creating other problems of its own. I, I almost want a Blade Runner style final cut thing where it's like oh, that, now we need a third cut that meets but in the this middle. Is the pro- it's like two. Fincher's he like want to do cut it, it out. Right. Stop even telling yeah. me about Alien Three. Right, Whereas right. Ridley Scott is like. 
Hmm, I have one right. more idea. Like, let me right. just like uh, Fincher's meanwhile going like Zaslav over here. <laughs> What's more final than final? The ultimate or yeah, something I mean, like that. Blade My, Runner and yeah. Alexander. There's a couple movies like this where they right. you're like, I don't even know which one is supposed to be the last the final by cut the name. Right, because Final right. Cut and Alexander was the third, and then he did a fourth cut. Yeah, after he's that. done like yeah. Eight cuts I think of that the movie. ultimate comes after the final, right. and the second one was revisited. I be- yes, I believe that's correct, but it is one right. of the most confusing theatrical. Re- Visited Final Ultimate. I, and people will, yeah. because they know I like that film a lot, and I do. I think that film's <laughs> yeah. excellent. And yeah. they'll tweet at me like, which Alexander cut should I walk into? I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. No, <laughs> just lay him out on a table. <laughs> like, dump all the just pieces out it. like a fucking puzzle. <laughs> um, I was doing this bit before we recorded, but my new thing is Zaslav reforming him, using it as a verb, but also reforming him into kind of like a grim reaper right. of all media, even he the things that aren't like, Time Warner. <laughs> Right. It's just gone. <laughs> right. And sometimes it can almost be like a like a philanthropic act. Sometimes it's right. like Fincher being we like, please put go. this movie out of its right. misery. And Zaslav just comes in with his scythe. Alien 3 doesn't need to go anywhere. The, no. Look, I, I want to give us, I want to talk about Fincher, obviously, but there's just, the, there's one thing in the assembly cut that I cannot believe is not in the theatrical cut. And it almost justifies the whole thing to me, which is those early shots on the surface yes. with her body, yes. which are so cool and evocative. And I'm like, why would you cut this? Yes. This is so good. It's all like, that production yes. design of that. Exactly. You out spent the exterior on this. is incredible. Yeah. And right. It's in the, the theatrical cut for like, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. What's wrong about that, too, is, like, when I think of Alien 3, just in abstract Mm. as a movie, the first image I think of is Charles Dance on the beach in that opening. Which is, it's just, and it's so cool that we don't really ever go back there. And you're like, God, this is, like, the weirdest situation. But it's, like, it's such evocative mood-setting stuff. It sets such a better pace for the movie. I think most of the improvements of the assembly cutter in the first, I, I sure it, it's more in the back half where you're kind of like this is kind of taking a while right. but we can talk about yes. it obviously um ben i assume you Producer watched Ryan. the regular cut yeah yeah <laughs> i didn't um, need more time with this no. movie no. um and you yeah, but i mean this movie is very you in a way it's got a bit of a benny aesthetic it's got the industrial sort of you know early 90s nine inch nailsy vibe yeah yes. aggressive dude vibe right, right. um There's some chains Oh, tons this of movie chains. Has tons of chains. Just liquid metal. I will right. say this. I could have used more uh, dripping in sure. general. At the end, there's waterfalls of I mean, you know, every time the steel. alien is in close up. Yeah, he drippy. I need so dripping, dripping like every 10 seconds. Okay. Can I actually ask a question about Please. that? Yeah. Obviously, the alien bleeds blood if you cut it or whatever. But you know how the alien is constantly like producing moisture, like in, in that iconic shot, yeah. just dripping wet. with it's water. Always yeah. slimy. Our wettest monster. Is that slime? Is that water? Is that sweat? Like, sweat. what is that? Sweat. I was really wondering because, like, it's really coming off that. It's, that it's face. It's that incredible maw. to see it yeah. just gooing off. Right. Yeah. I think how does it stay hydrated? <laughs> Do they drink? Well, yeah, they, they kind of suck up your. They drink Pepsi. They guts. chase. And of course, there's right. a great commercial we all just watched in which the alien. Sucks down a Pepsi. Incredible 1991. That's the other thing I was seeing from the AVP Wikia. That commercial came out a full year before this movie came out. Right. Right. So it was less of a direct tie-in and more of we have this suit we just built for the movie. Right. And it was also part of another thing we'll talk about that like around this movie, there was this aborted push for like, do we turn Alien into like a kid's franchise? Right. That they were planning to around this film, around the release of this film, come out with 
a cartoon show. There was a toy line, new video games, all that didn't have that much to do with Alien 3 specifically. But they were like, can we make Alien into just a thing? This peak era of like R-rated franchises being like toned down for children. Could this be the choice of a new generation? Could it? And then they were like, yes, it can. Yes. In this ad. For Pepsi. The Pepsi commercial is great. You, now, you have to watch it. Did you like Alien as a kid? Because, again, that would have been pitched at a, at a Ben type. I did. I have my toy from growing up right here. Ben Whoa. Alien Brent bought Predator. His Alien yeah. is Predator. Kenner I know you're a Predator fan. Over obviously. here. Yeah. And he said, he brought them to me and he said, these are like the only toys from my childhood I've kept. That's true. That is yeah. fascinating. Wow. All right. yeah. Uh, um, I love, though, H.R. Uh, Geiger's yes, uh, sure. aesthetic, yeah. for sure. Um, grew up loving these movies. His early time. funny work in particular, I think. <laughs> the comedies. Geiger. The early funny ones. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. Um, funny guy. H.R. Geiger's Funny bananas. light. Yeah. He mm-hmm. is. Feather light touch. He is kind of fun. There's the, the, the quadrilogy, if you will. The of box course. set, the absolutely. anthology, whatever yeah. you want to call the box set, has like an incredible making of documentary about each movie but the one yeah. about alien 3 is really awesome and has a lot of giger talking in it about his design for this movie which they actually didn't seemingly use a lot of they, he gave them a lot of stuff i think they kind they of ignored. mostly just yeah. discarded yeah but him talking about it is incredible and there, if, if, if for his does he his talk like fun, this yeah. Yeah. does he have a fun accent and, and he's talking about the erotical things yeah. within it and it's 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 a if you enjoy the the comedies of his his early works yeah. It's actually pretty, pretty, Th- pretty there's fun. There's the rod puppet that they call the Bambi Burster that plays more in the assembly cut. That mm-hmm. is like the most juvenile version yes. of the runner alien. And that was apparently the main thing that he, he had an influence on that actually ended up in the film. Right. Now, Ben, before we dig into this, just because you were asking, uh, David, uh, whether or not Ben is a fan of Alien 3, uh, of course, one would think, well, this is Ben's second uh, time talking about Alien 3 on mic. If I am not misremembering, was that not the episode? Was it Resurrection? Resurrection Resurrection is when Ben fully uh, took a nap. It was the entire time. To be fair, it was late at night. Right. We it was all... in the middle of the pandemic. That's yeah. a very Trump nappable just, movie, though. As we've discussed. Yeah, I agree. It's not the most arresting movie no, ever no. made. And Trump had just been diagnosed with the novel coronavirus. Right. One of the wilder things to have. And so we were all drinking for right. unrelated reasons. And yeah. I got diagnosed with the, the bit of a sleepy boy. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. You, but right, you, the you, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. If a doctor had come, he would have been like, this right. is a tie-tie boy. Right. He had just been diagnosed, and we were like, all we want to do is talk about this. And by the time these episodes come out who It'll knows be resolved right, right. And, 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 in, in whatever way it will right. be too weird so we were like all had this manic energy of trying not to talk about it and ben was like and we're on like little zoom boxes and ben starts lying down on his couch <laughs> hugging his cat <laughs> right and he's just sort of like looking adorable and we're like making jokes about how adorable he looks and then like 10 minutes in he stops responding to the jokes when we realize he is fully asleep and just one of our zoom windows is just ben sleeping we're just <laughs> watching Net him boy. sleep ah uh, 2020 but he was like grin like ear to ear grin he looked so peaceful Aww, i mean it nice. really did gently just put me right to sleep yeah just dan hadaya getting like yeah. you know his throat what? snapped Dreams or whatever in all the alien movies, there's a lot of dream and sleep imagery. True, true. Every, you know, the first one, the second one, this yeah. one, they all begin with people asleep. Every movie very begins true. and ends very with a little nap time. Yeah. Yes. Well, this one ends with the ultimate nap. The I suppose. Yeah. Well, this one has the ending of a lot of my dreams, which is you're falling to your right. death. Right. You know, so, which is incredibly dreamlike right. as well. So, right. so I, I think it's very justifiable on those grounds. Yeah. Yeah. 
you were just going along with the dreamlike vibe. And she is dead. She is dead. Like, that's the end of Ripley. Yeah. As much as she was quote unquote resurrected, obviously it's a different character yes. explicitly. Right. That's and Ripley then that's it. Eight or whatever. And I yeah. was reading about resurrection yeah. on the Xenopedia. Yeah. And it what did point out like as much as there is tons of alien stuff that's happened since nothing has actually been set after this. Yeah. Right. Like no one's ever actually figured yeah. out what happened after yeah, that. It's interesting. Right. Yeah. Even though it has like an explicit cliffhanger, basically, of like, right. you know, they're, they're near Earth and all this. Right. I think before like Prometheus formed, there was a moment where it felt like uh, Ridley was considering doing a thing with Sigourney. Right. When he was sort of like, I'd like to go back yeah. to Alien yeah, before he, was, he landed right. on the more prequely thing. And then obviously Neil Blomkamp was going to do his thing, but his thing was going to be ignoring this. Right. right. Which this would have been annoying. Remains the I'm dead. very glad they didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. In a fascinating way. It's like Neil one of the Blanc- things. Neil Blomkamp. Uh, famously normal and chill, by the way. Yes, I've just, heard that. Yeah, yeah. we've all heard yes. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's. One I'm not of accusing things... him of anything criminal, by the way, with that vague thing. Just that he, he can be a bit nervy. Uh, yeah. I've heard, especially if you bring up, "Hey, you used to be like super successful, and you're going to make an alien movie, and now it seems like you know you're not really going on for you." Yeah, I, 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 we, there was a moment where I was uh, uh, w- with Alex Ross Perry, our friend, uh-huh. uh, who will never be on this show again. <laughs> And he, um, w- someone else we were with made a joke about someone else being on the verge of getting canceled. Uh-huh, right. And everyone went, like, deadly silent, and he went, like, sorry, I was joking. And Alex just very wisely said, there is literally no one you could say that about who we wouldn't take it seriously. Right, at this point, you're just like, okay, There's geez, no what comical they do? name right. you could throw out right. where we just go, like, impossible. Santa Claus? And likewise, uh. anytime you say normally and chill, normal and chill <laughs> about anyone... Well, who do you expect? I mean, the man abuses his power day and night. Yeah. He's elves working Breaking for and entering yeah. every house. That's true. Come he's on. he's yeah. basically a peeping Tom. Also, yeah. This guy makes $254 million a year. He works one day. His salary is higher than any CEO other than Zaslav. Who puts him on the list? Well, that's the question. <laughs> right, exactly. Who watches the Watchmen? Uh, no, Blomkamp's just a weird guy, self-destructive career. A little, a little weird. Anyway... Um, but but yes, it is the thing I will forever love this movie for. Where like uh, uh, watching watching Dial of Destiny, yeah, I was just like, why don't we let character stories end? Sure. And that movie is for trying that? to come back and be like, I want to put a, a a period at the end of this. Right. But I'm like, but but it's still just there is something to that in in this movie in Aliens three Alien three yeah because yeah it. You could tell it feels like, and and when you watch again, like the supplemental materials, it's like, well, Fox really wanted another Alien movie, and the people who made it are like, oh, okay, yeah, and that energy is really like infused into the movie in yeah, a way like, that's like just really like, like in a twisted way, twisted, right? Paradoxical like, way is really fun. Again, right. like it's just you know, like the, I, it, this movie reminds me. There's a, a favorite George Costanza quote of mine uh from the episode the masseuse mm. where where it jerry moved. is dating no well that's a great quote too I, that's the episode where it moves right okay yes it does that sounds right yes yeah. but the the quote i have in mind in this case i'm trying to think how it moved could be in conjunction with the other i mean i guess it does move i mean no, it's I was inside just i don't know remembering anyway, him saying it moved is jerry is dating the masseuse mm-hmm. she hates george and george finds himself inexplicably drawn to that and sure. at one point he says this woman hates me so much 
I'm starting to like her. Yeah. And that is how I feel about Alien 3. This mm. movie, like, it's just like... It's so mad exuding, at you. Yeah. It's exuding antipathy and hatred and just just mean and nasty and surly. Yes. And it kills the protagonist. Yeah. It says, we're never making another one of these stupid movies. Stop asking us for them. <laughs> right. It's over. Right. Fuck and you. that energy, like... I'm a sucker for same, any same. for the same exactly the reason you're right. saying like every sequel exists to propagate more sequels. Yes, you know, and this especially movie, now, like they have to play very uh, safe. They getting have out to of play any it movie. safe. Right. We've got to please, you know, and and Alien in in its own way, and especially Aliens are such crowd pleasers. Yes. Right. This movie is by design a crowd displeaser. Yes. It wants you to be on it, like it's desperately trying to piss you off in every way. And and not only is it like does it have that contempt for like the studio system, right? Basically, like Whalen Yutani Corp. Well, that's the other part that's like, amazing. Is Fox being like, please, you have to keep doing this, right? right? You don't yes. understand. This alien thing is so important to right. us. It's right. so and valuable. It, it has contempt for like the studio <laughs> like, no. and for the audience. But then also when you remove the meta layer just inside the movie itself, it's basically like, and we all agree that humanity is terrible. Yes. Just by and large. There's I, no hope. No. I don't. There's no joy. No. There's nothing. It's just me, misery. Matt, you're roughly my age. So you probably did not see Alien 3 in theaters in 1992. I would have needed a, an, adult an adult supervisor, <laughs> yes. and I so I did not. Um, I would love to know someone who is sort of from the generation above me, because it must have been so... I cannot dispute yeah. how crushing it must have felt, mm. especially back in the day of knowing a lot less about these movies when you're right. walking into them. Right. To walk into this movie being like, I was... 14 years old when I saw Aliens, right? I was like a teen. I cannot wait for this movie. And the way yeah. this movie begins with like, sit down, start crying. <laughs> like nothing good is going to happen. Your friends are dead. Right. Yeah. It's, well, in a way, it's almost more painful to watch now, I feel like, because yeah. in the quadrilogy uh, mm. context, if we're Say you it can, as many times as I'm we going is. to keep yeah. doing it because you brought it up. Yeah. It's like, because it, today you can watch which I did. You could like watch them all in one night or one night yeah. after another. Like you watch Aliens and that has this ending of, you know, this new family that has been created. They're all going to right. bed and then together. you yeah. okay, take that disc out. I'm gonna put in Alien Three and see what happens. Oh wait, they're all dead. Yes. You know, like Ripley survives, but dead. horribly killed in the worst possible ways. I, I do think there's that thing. You talk to most film nerds who are a couple years older than us, starting at like maybe like four or five years older than us. And this is still like the shorthand movie for the most disrespectful thing you can do to its characters, right? right? This is what they're still afraid of, right? right. Like now, right? Yeah, can and you imagine this movie coming out today? The no, reaction, right? What, what it would I be online? Like, they would still, never make it anywhere no, in the studio right, system. Right. They'd be like, "No, you're not doing that." I will Fuck still off. see people say, "Like, I heard rumors that they're thinking of pulling an Aliens three at the beginning of this movie." Right? right? right like, right, I'll right, see right. people still use it as the, like the warning sign of the thing not to do, and people talk about it as if it's like almost a traumatic incident of like, how could a studio? fuck up what we liked this much right right and we talked about this in our commentary episodes but like i discovered i watched the first alien and the first predator rented both on vhs from the video store across the street in the same night and was like holy fucking shit <laughs> and then watched every friday for the next three weeks would rent the next alien movie so i'm just like watching this in a compressed month cycle where part of what i'm into is like and what you're telling me they're all different right so when it's Alien 3 starts, I'm like, yeah, that's how these movies work. Sure. I felt right. no, it was like later that I found out, oh, people hate this. Mm. 
They hate the vibe of it. They hate that they killed off the characters. Look, they I hate think that it's its own thing. If Newt wasn't involved, yes. I, I feel like the audience revulsion would have been a lot. As much as we all like Michael Bean's pretty face. Uh-huh. And Hicks is very charming. Sure. If there was some sort of way for them to have been like, Newt got ejected onto a, a happy colony. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, and she's right. fine. Yeah. And, but, and, and, and you know, who knows what happened to Hicks and, and Ripley's stuck here now. I honestly feel like people were just like, you killed off maybe the best child character in the history of genre film. Right. A thing that people usually like. Uh, we, hate. Right. We all hate that kind of a character. Right. right Newt yeah. is the one we let into our hearts. And then you begin the movie's like, drowned horribly. Charles Dance is like, yeah, I don't know. She's fucking dead, though. I'll tell you that much. Well, so that, dead. Also, when you, again, go back and look at aliens and you look at all the things this character survived. It's yes. true. And you right. watch her go through this incredible ordeal. Damn, and then you watch Ripley go down into. You know, like she gets kidnapped again and she has to go down to the queen and rescue her again. And you're like, Imagine wow. the groans in the audience. Right. As like oh. the credits play and it's like there's a fucking alien on the ship. Yeah. Right. You know, and and also, dead, as, as you said, David, like at the time this movie's coming out, uh, people know less about movies going right. into them. Even if you're someone who reads fucking Starlog magazine and whatever, right. you're still not going like, well, Ripley and Newt aren't in the trailer, so it definitely means they die in the opening credits. Right. There's not the same like ecosystem of dialogue. I think a lot of people show up and are like, I'm curious to see what they do with Ripley and Newt. I feel like the big thing that, because I, I do remember this movie coming out, and I yeah. feel like the big thing that you remember from the, mar- or I remember from the marketing was just Sigourney Weaver Cut off her hair. Like, that right. was the that whole was market. Huge. That was, like, Fucking a huge apart thing. Apart from that, they were, like, three times the thrill. Like, they really right. hit yes. the three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cubed thrills. Yes. Um, but there wasn't, you know, they didn't really dwell on what even the movie was, like, the about or back. anything. It's that just, like, it's right. like so Gordy Weaver looks wild and awesome in right. this. Yeah. And we got more aliens. Which she does. And, right. and we got more aliens. And, she and that got, was it. That was the whole idea. Right. She got a big salary on this. I feel like that was another big thing of, like, she's kind of breaking new, like, uh, 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 pay ceilings for women in film. Yeah. Uh, I think Resurrection even was up from Yeah, this? she made... Oh, I'm sure. I believe she made more on Resurrection than, like, the budget of Alien or something. There's some, like, right. stat like wow. that that's very fun. But, like, this was 10 she and that made a lot was, of money. like, 16 uh, or something yeah, because like that. Right. She's um, quite important. Yes. Uh, obviously. And we can talk about the development of this movie, but there was a time when Fox was, like, developing two follow-ups. Yeah. And one was going to, she was going to be in the second, was the idea. Interesting. That she would not, that Hicks would be the lead of the first movie, okay. Michael Bean. This is, is this the Gibson thing? This is pre Gibson, yeah. okay. I think. I mean, Gibson is was sort of. Was this working. Walter Hill and well, his partner? Yeah, I guess, yes, it's Walter Hill and yeah. David Geiler, who's the longtime producer of these movies. Right, here's the idea. You know, they were like, basically Hicks the would be the of protagonist of yeah. Alien 3. Yeah. And Ripley would barely be appear. And then in the fourth, she would return and there would be like a big epic battle of. Fucking right, that's the other thing. I think you know. even if you're someone watching these trailers and you're like, huh, Hicks and Newt aren't in them, right? And right. you're aware of the fact that, like, Newt was played by a child and, like, what, seven years have passed. Right, she may not yeah. want right. to. Right, cryosleep know. is not going to be able to work with this premise or whatever. Right. You still might be like, oh, part of the premise is there was a ship crash and Ripley is landed somewhere different than them. You don't necessarily think, like, 15 minutes into the movie, you're going to see Newt's chest cracked open. Right. Lying on a slab. Um, I, I, we need to get into Fincher background, yes. but just another thing to pin here in terms of like uh, uh, killing uh, Newt as a character and that being a thing that people were really devastated by. I do think it's interesting that uh, Aliens is obviously like thought of as such a big like seminal work of uh, motherhood, 
right? Right, yes. In in science fiction and genre film, like really one of the best encapsulations of that. Um, uh, she makes that move. She doesn't have any children. Uh, yeah. I was, when in mother mode, too much information being thrown at me, they kept on talking about, they made the dummy that Charles Dance carries from the beach. Okay. And when they made it. All covered in goo and worms. Yes. When they made the dummy, Sigourney was like eight months pregnant. Oh, shit. Sure. Okay. And so they didn't scan her, but they, you know, they took measurements, they took pictures. And she was just like, just focus on my, like, my head and my shoulders. And I assure you that I will be this lean by the time we start filming. Right. Which was like six months later. So she's making this movie six months after having her first child. Mm. And there was something to, whereas the last movie would be the movie that most actors would be like, well, I was really able to tap into something, draw upon as a new mother these feelings I was feeling. Instead, she now has a kid for the first time and the movie is like, my child is dead. Was the child yours? No, I'm not her mother. Right. But she plays those scenes amazing. She's great in those scenes. Totally. But I think it's like, it speaks to her daring as an actor that she's sort of like, I now want to do the thought experiment of the worst thing I could possibly imagine happening and make the movie that's going into like the darkest part of my psyche now that I kind of know what it would feel like to lose a child. It feels like every time she was lobbed a bleak take, she was not resistant to it. Her one thing was that the movie not have guns. Yes. As we've discussed and we can discuss again. Yeah. But apart from that, I don't think she was really like Newt, obviously. Like, we need Newt or no. we need X or whatever. No. You know, like, yeah. All right. But David Fincher, how do you feel about David Fincher, Matt? You think he's overrated? Real, real dingbat, kind of yeah. crappy filmmaker. Yeah. Dingbat. Didn't yeah, that was the much. word. That's ex- you hit the word I was thinking yeah. of. No, I mean, amazing, amazing director. But his movies look like shit, right? Yeah. You think yeah. he's a fucking... Doesn't and it seems like, you know, efforts. and the vibe I get from them too, you know, you bring, I'm glad you bring that up. They just feel very slapdash hack. put together. He's a like hack. one take wonders. Kind right. of, you know, like, oh, we got it. We're moving on. Like, I, that's how I feel about a lot of them. Total Eastwood style. I also yeah. feel like notoriously just kind of like asleep in video village, like doesn't really care about anything happening. Right. Let's people like run their own devices. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's, I mean, there's a couple of fun Fincher elements to this, but part of what is really fun about it um, is that, you know, at this time, obviously, first uh, feature and, the, you know, a, a, he's what, like 27 or something? He is 27 Absurdly years old. young Offensive. age when they Offensive. hire Yeah, very yeah. upsetting yeah. when they hire him. Yeah. And they basically, you know, I think, again, I, I'm going to keep referring to the uh, that making of documentary. Mm-hmm. Someone on their, one on the production side says they, like, or maybe multiple people, like, they're like, well, he was a really good shooter. Yeah, you know they right. they 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 think of him as this guy who obviously based on his music videos and everything he's done he's an incredible visual stylist. Yeah, but they just thought well because he's going to be grateful to be here. Yeah, right. He's going to be happy to have this huge and he'll job. Make it look nice. He's going to be the good shooter right. and yeah. he's going to shoot what we tell him and he's going to you know just go along with us. Right. And that is not what he I mean, did. No. And we'll talk more about the development in this film. But right, it is that classic studio thing of like. We'll hire the director last. Right. That'll yeah. be easy. Right. Which is insane. Yes. But, but yes. right, they're like, nah, well, we'll, we'll have to hack everything else well, together it, first. It was established as a very director-driven franchise. Well, indeed. Yes. Uh, and remains so in its way. Yeah. Obviously, you know, AVP or whatever. Even W.S. Anderson is yeah. no turn. Yes. Right. And yes. And all that. Um, David Fincher, born Denver, Colorado, 1962. But Did you know that? 
No, that's not where he grows up. No, he grew up in Marin County, California. It's a couple doors down from our old friend, Georgie Porgy. The, the legend is he he grew up uh, down the street, yes. two driveways down from yes. George Lucas. Now, George Lucas is obviously probably 20 years older than David Fincher, right? Yeah, but they were like buddies. They'd, they'd play like stickball together and shit. <laughs> George Lucas, wow, I nailed it. 19 years older than David Fincher. Hey. Um uh, so yes, uh, you know, uh, Marin County as a, as when he was a child mm-hmm. uh, was haunted by the Zodiac Killer. Just uh, uh, a little never come up again, right? Yeah. Uh, thing to note. Yep. Uh, his dad worked in. Um, it will come up a lot. Obviously, mm-hmm. worked uh, as a journalist for Life Magazine. Yes, did a lot of freelance magazine stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of a science writer mainly, I think, Primarily. but was very big movie buff. Took him His to all the movies. Mother, His worked, mom worked in mental health. Yes, like and and substance abuse. Substance abuse yeah. Right, like sort of sounds more like she was in. Um, uh, not not a therapist. I'm not sure exactly what her yes. job was, but she worked in like you know substance yeah, yeah. Yes. um abuse programs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she took him to see all the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, uh, Fincher was very good at drawing. Uh, from a very young age. Yes, but also, in a very finchery way, frustrated that he was not perfect at drawing. Sure. He'd look at his drawings, people would go, you're good, and he'd be like, it's all wrong. I think uh, this is a quote that our researcher has dug up, where he's like, someday, uh, you know, I used to always go, someday you'll have the skill to draw exactly what you see in your head. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to show to someone, and if they like it, then you'll be able to transfer this thing through this apparatus, putting in my head to this. Communication of ideas. And it does feel like that. It comes up with Fincher a lot where he's like, I know exactly how this is supposed to look. I just need you people to understand what's in my head. Yes. And his team who are mostly very loyal to him, that they're like, we understand. This is our job is to sort of like translate. Look, filmmakers like this, filmmakers like Wes Anderson, like Spielberg and whatever, a lot of their strength comes once they've made a couple films and they've established their good team and the team basically knows how to finish their sentences where they can just start going like, I know what his tastes are. I know what he's going to want. Right. Um, Um, His editor, I've interviewed mm. all the people who worked on Mank. Mm. I've talked about it before. I'm sure I'll talk about it again. Mank! His editor, Mank! 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 Remember Mank? Mink. <laughs> and remember his editor is like I am his therapist like that's my job right. is to yeah. be showing him dailies being like see right. what you're doing makes it's sense yeah. and yeah. Finch would be like yes 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 or to be like no 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 like you know or like we have to change things or yes. but usually it's like I'm trying to anticipate his anxiety by right. being like yes this, this is gonna look good yep mm-hmm. um uh, the film that inspired a young Fincher most, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, or more accurately, a televised making of documentary about the movie, mm. uh, which blew his mind uh, because he had not put together, like many children don't put together, that movies are not made in real time. Yes. Movies are complex. Uh, uh, J- JJ did not include this in his research, but a movie well, I've then he's fired. heard him, he's fired. He's double fired. A movie I've heard him talk about a lot, which at first I found very surprising and now I, I think is kind of key. And I think even maybe when Benjamin Button was coming out and he curated Benjamin a series, Butt-cast. Benjamin Buttcast, <laughs> when he curated a series of his influences at MoMA, um, he cites Mary Poppins as like a humongous movie for him. Hmm. That's cool. I think a lot of it was the like the, the technical, technical com- trickery, complexity. right? Right mm-hmm. to create something that feels very natural and and lived in. Not that it's a natural movie, you know, but I think like a lot of that movie is magic kind of tossed off. Um, and the full creation of a world. Now, there's a Ben Hosley moment here. Uh, mm-hmm. When he was nine years old, he asked his mother for a BB gun. 
<laughs> yep. And she said, <laughs> she said, no, I'm not going to get you a BB gun. What else might you want? And he said, fine, I'll accept a movie camera. Now he says this was sort of a trick he was playing because a movie camera costs like 10 times as much as fucking that BB gun. That was really smart. And yeah, they were like, all play. right. Yeah. Uh, and they, uh, you know, he starts making little movies, which he says were, quote unquote, insane. Uh-huh. Uh, he says his mother was often extremely disturbed by the movies he would make. Moves to Oregon when he's 14, works as a projectionist. I mean, all of this is just such classic, like, early direct, you know, yes. young director stuff, right? Yeah. Gets a camera, makes little movies, becomes a projectionist. Uh, he went to something called the Berkeley Film Institute. I don't know if that still exists, if you guys have ever heard of it, as a teenager to learn how to make movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he got in touch with someone at Corti Films. Okay. Do you know what this is, Griffin? No. Uh, which was an animation studio. Okay. And his first screen credit for quote unquote special photographic effects came on their animated film Twice Upon a Time. Oh, yes. Which was a Lucasfilm yes. production. Um, obviously, up there in the North California, that's, that's, that's Lucasfilm territory, yeah. right? Yeah. I love that movie. Uh, and so then he pivots from that to ILM. Yes. Uh, his dream landing spot ever since he met George Lucas when he was 10 years old, and he works out famously on Return of the Jedi. He's assistant cameraman on that. He does matte photography on Temple of Doom. He and works on, on Neverending uh, Story. Never Ending Story, mm-hmm. correct? Credited as Dave Fincher. Dave uh, Fincher. Little Dave Fincher. Good old Dave. Yeah. Uh, but I think then he's basically at ILM sort of at the end of that early golden era. Because yes. it's the mid-'80s. People like Phil Tippett and Joe Donster are moving on. Star mm-hmm. Wars is done. Um. I mean, for now. Sure. Uh, so he is getting bored, and he does a famed uh, advertisement, which Marie actually just sent us in text messages, but I knew it, and I assume you may have seen it, in which a fetus is smoking a cigarette in utero mm. as an anti-cancer ad. I, I can remember it from childhood, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, that kick-started his uh, music video career. Uh, which, you know, Rick Springfield. Look, we're going to talk about his music videos. Do a Patreon do an episode on that. Yep. Um, how do you feel about his music videos, if any at all, any way at all? Obviously, very formative time for music videos in general, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm the I'm the wrong kind of dork for that. Fair enough. I would not Fair be a good enough. guest on that one, but I mean, I was wa- I was tr- I was watching some of them last night, kind of yeah. trying to put myself in the headspace of this is the guy who then went on to make. Uh, Alien Three, and I mean, v- visually, maybe a l- there's a little there's a quality. I guess a lot of them are black and white. A lot of the best ones are black and white. Yeah, like the vo- the Madonna videos. Yeah, uh, so they, yeah, Billy they, Idol. They they have a lot more like yeah, like although actually one of the Madonna videos has a very fun bit with like um she's standing behind. I get, I think they're like screens. Mm-hmm. And um, it reminds reminded me of one one of the most famous moments in uh, Alien Three with um, Charles Dance's death scene, where you know in the infirmary, which has all these yes, the, like um, shower curtain mm-hmm, kind of things, mm-hmm. and you see like the the alien the the uh, silhouette Emerging, and all of that, which is a great scene. Yes, um, but it is music fascinating. Videos. I think he uh, he he has not wanted to go back and talk about his music video work. He famously refused to be included the in the director's label video. series and right. all that shit. Right. Come on, Finchie. He would have been perfect, which he's like made for. He would have had a, yes. like the best one. And I do think there's a Mandela effect thing of people thinking I own that DVD, yes. which yes. they right. didn't. Right. Uh, Chris Cunningham, who had one, yep. worked on Love this him. film. Mm-hmm. 
Chris uh, Cunningham rules. Along with Steve Norrington. A lot of guys who later go on to become directors were in the effects team on Cr- this movie. Chris Cunningham, again, maybe the most Ben director because he did those Apex like, twin videos, right. oh, like Window yeah. Liquor yeah. and Come yeah, to yeah, Daddy yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff. He did the Bjork robot video. Yeah. But he built a lot of the the puppets and models for this I movie. That, that's, yeah. that's his wow. primary yeah. interest. And, and right? Norrington, who goes on to direct Blade. Yep. was also a big effects a, a, guy. On a similarly movie. good director to David Fincher, right? Fincher and Norrington. Equally great. Um, but this is the this is the era of these guys getting plucked up, right? right. You do music right. videos and then you get brought into Hollywood. The point I was going to make is his movies, or, or his music videos rather, do not have, they have a really strong visual style, but it definitely feels, and this is why I imagine he doesn't really want to reclaim them, he is serving the voice of, right, of the artist, the artist yes. of the record label, of the campaign. He's using them as sort He's of like technical a good shooter, you might say. He's a great shooter. Uh, the the anti smoking ad does feel like it has a little bit of the Fincher worldview in it. Right. But you watch his best music videos, and they're like technical triumphs. Some of them are incredibly good, uh, but they don't feel like they have the worldview that starts immediately in this movie and right. carries through the rest of his filmography. Right, yes. A guy where it's like you cannot beat his worldview out of his films. It does not matter what he's working on. Now, Fincher's hot shit, yes. but he is looking for the right project to start with. This is a very funny quote. Mm-hmm. I, I assume you know which I'm talking about. Uh, apparently, he was pitching Sid Gannis, mm-hmm. uh, who's the president of Paramount on some movie, and Sid's, he hasn't made a movie yet, and Sid says, Fincher, no one's going to give you $40 million for your first picture. And Fincher said, Sid, I know that. Why would I do a 40-minute movie? Good line. But also... That's so funny. Indicative of Fincher's, you know, expensive tastes, even even before he started making movies. Yeah. But Uh, also, as we'll say many times, his reputation is he doesn't just throw out some willy-nilly number. He doesn't just waste money. But this is where he learns a lot of these lessons. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm he just like reads yeah. a script and goes, I understand exactly practically what I would need, what time I would need, what equipment I would need, how much it would cost. And FYI, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I love him for. Right. And if, it, and if it's a cent less, I walk off. Right. And right, that's right. a lot out of this experience where he thought he could sort of like win the arguments in real time rather than getting the agreement going in. Um, so, okay, uh, over to Alien. So, mm-hmm. Ridley Scott made a film in 1979 called Alien. Pretty good. Pretty. Not too shabby. Good movie. 1996, James Cameron makes a sequel. Oh, you can't make a sequel to Alien. What's there to do? Aliens. Mm-hmm. Dollar, dollar sign. Dollar sign. Yeah. I would say uh, also. Big hit. Pretty good. Not too shabby. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so far. Yeah. High expectations, obviously, in this world. Especially when Aliens is the thing that on paper people were like, some other fucking guy is coming in and yeah. making a sequel Who does he right. think he to is? Ridley Scott's movie. How dare you? And he's going to sort of do this genre shift. When that works, it's suddenly like, well, now Alien is a franchise where people come in and take big swings at a very high but level. But if I'm a director, I'm like, no fucking way do right. I want to do another. The, the right. expectations are impossible. Terrifying. And there's no, za- like Cameron's zag is so obvious. Right. Where the hell are you going to zag from that? Uh, anyway, we'll talk about it. The pit of despair is right. where you zag. <laughs> um, now, uh, David Hill and, uh, uh, Walter Hill and David Geiler, mm-hmm. the sort of stewards of Alien. Yes. The producers. And the great Walter Hill, of course. We all mm-hmm. love Walter Hill. Mm-hmm. Great old grumpus that he is now. Uh-huh. Uh, they make this treatment. They send it to William Gibson, mm-hmm. who has written Neuromancer. Uh, and William Gibson writes a script 
that I feel like we were talking about, Matt. We I might have when it's we were quite texting. notorious as like one of those great unproduced scripts right. that people are sort of lionized. Right. And now they've made like an audible, like a drama right. out a, of it, an audio drama. There's a graphic version, novel. There's yeah. a novel. Like you can consume it almost every way except as a movie now. Yes. Right. And uh, I feel like we may have briefly mentioned it on our uh, other episode, but uh, you know, uh, he calls his joking summary is uh, space commies hijack alien eggs. Big problem in wall, mall world. Yeah, because it's set in a giant mall. Right. Uh, it's a very cool script, I will say. It's very different from this movie. Well, right. And it's mostly about Hicks. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think was his remit. I think he was told, like, Ripley will come in for the fourth movie. Right, mm-hmm. right. So which write us a Hicks to. adventure. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, Rennie Harlan was supposed to direct it. Right. He had just made Nightmare on Elm Street 4, mm-hmm. and I guess that was enough. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 is fun. I'm not... Yeah, that's Dream Child or Dream Master? Dream Master. Yeah. Dream Child is kind of bad. Uh, I kind of like Dream Child. But yeah, no, Harlan's in a weird place to be... Well, Harlan this is This just... is before he does Die Hard 2? Yes. Yeah, and Ford Fairlane. Well, Ford Fairlane is what he gets handed when this falls apart. Ford Fairlane, of course, being the Andrew Dice Clay movie. What a perfect apology job. (laughs) Um, uh, But yes, it's like the Sulaco drifts into this sort of like sort of space communist empire, like Marxist place, and they pick them up. Rennie, we we got bad news and good news for you. (laughs) The bad news is you're not making Alien 3 anymore. You're not making the third Alien film. Oh. The good news is you are making the first Ford Fairlane movie. <laughs> Did you? Uh, you're an Andrew Dice Clay <laughs> you get boy, to Ben. Kickstart the franchise. No. no. Okay. No. Um, he reminded me too much of the people like that the lived jerks. in the town, right. mm-hmm. That I grew up with in New Jersey. He gave you shit. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because right. yep. he's not very alternative, Andrew Dice Clay. No, not at no. all. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's this it's whole clever script of He's like, more of like a, I say slurs kind you know, of No, I mean, that was his vibe yeah, that, in the 80s yes, very much. Very, I, yeah. that has, has anyone seen Ford Farley? I have not seen Ford Farley. No, I have, but and it's been a while. It's a very, like, Matt Singer project for you yes, to watch. Yes, it's schlock. The yeah. worst garbage. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, <right>. exactly. <laughs> Shovel it in my, in my face. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if Ford Fairlane had, like, a, an Arby's tie-in it, at the it, time. Um, exactly. Ford's so, got the meats. Anyway, like, it's a cool script. You can check it out. Like, sure. It's basically like Wayland yutani has an army of aliens. The space Marxists have their own army. There's a big battle. Yeah. I don't know. It's insane. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, that's my yes. diagnosis of it. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Cold War in space. Uh, Rennie Harlan comes on board. But the uh, producers didn't really like it. No. It's sort of the... They thought it the, was crazy. Yes. yes. <laughs> and so... I think everyone else kind of liked it. It just becomes right. this, like revolving door of like takes and writers and directors and yeah. until it ultimately right. they, winds up with Fincher. Right. They give it to Eric Red, uh near dark writer who re- revises it down basically in mm-hmm. terms of scale. Uh, and then uh, David Twoey, the great David Twoey. Twoey yes. Uh, Twoey. The fugitive Twoey. writer. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Pitch black man later, mm-hmm. which is sort of like, Alien adjacent, very. right? Very alien vibes. The Pitch Black movies, yes, and and um, I'd say almost very Alien Three vibes specifically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like bald people in impressively bleak sci-fi conditions. Correct. Yes, uh, he had just written Critters too. It is weird that they're scooping people out of the like New Line Cinema like right. horror sequels. Yeah, but whatever. I guess that was kind of hot shit back then. 
when this should like be your sort of the genre platinum world? franchise. I mean, but I think right. back then it was even if it was a big deal for it's still a fucking sci-fi horror movie, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah. still like just lesser than even if Aliens got Oscar nominations. I don't so, know. So is Alien the first Alien 78? 79. 79. It is insane to process that this movie comes out 13 years after Alien. Yes. You know where it's right. like you can understand the seismic shift in the industry between Alien and Aliens and the shift between Aliens and this. But when you remove Aliens from the middle and you just look at what's changed in in the studio system in 13 years. Mm-hmm. You do understand how just even by like 1990, they're maybe starting to pull up the ramps and go like, how much do we want to deal with people who think of themselves as artists? Mm. Right, right. Is right, it right, better right, to right. get guys who can just get Let's it just get done? technicians, yes. Right, yeah. Because there was, well, there, and there's certainly, we haven't really talked about it yet, but there was certainly a point in the development of Alien 3 where they could have gone that route. Yes. And they specifically were like, you know what? Maybe not. Right. Um, all right, let's see. I just want to, Twoey is the one who brings in the prison planet concept, okay? Yes. Harlan exits. He's like, I'm riding the dice train, okay? I'm rolling the dice. <laughs> well, I think I'm he, gone. I'm pretty sure his thing was he wanted, he had these very ambitious ideas that, again, like Fox was just like, we're not paying for these sorts of things. Whole thing. planet like, made of wood. Well, that was, that's Vincent well, Ward. We haven't got to yet. I'm wood sorry. planet, my I'm favorite sorry. thing in the I'm world. Sorry. Har- I'm sorry. Harlan was like, well, we should go to the planet where the aliens come from. Sure. Right. Which, which is, is like. An obvious pitch. It's, yes. Right. But it would, and potentially quite an expensive right. one. Which Geiger like, drew up a design, looked like a butthole. I mean, this <laughs> is the whole thing. Planet. There's been so a many alien movies and prequels and sequels, and yet no one has ever actually really been like, let's put the aliens on Earth or let's go to alien planet. Right. They keep brushing up against it in the being like, ah, we'll right. save that for next time. And those yeah. were the two things that Randy Harlan supposedly wanted to do, which yeah, they wouldn't Randy Harlan's, do. Randy Harlan's, he's kind of a fastball down the middle guy, right? He's yeah. like, die to die hard too, die harder? Yeah. Um, well, just, just die a little t- harder. Let's not uh, freak people out. Just die a little bit harder. Um, so Troy writes this prison script, but mm-hmm. Ripley is not really a character in it. Okay. So they're like, get back here, because now we've decided Ripley should be the star. Like, sure. whatever. Some like, come-to-Jesus moment has right. happened. Smart decision. Right. Uh, and then they see this film, The Navigator, by uh-huh. New Zealand director Vincent Ward. Yes. And they're like, we love this guy, which is clearly what they did with Janae later, too, where they're just sort of like, well, this guy has a unique artistic vision. Right. Like, we should just have a meeting with him. They bring him in. And he pitches them this sort of medieval concept of a wooden planet. I just think this is when Hollywood was at its best. Yes. Someone could walk into a studio and yeah. be like, the whole planet is wood. And, and even if Anyone ever thrown that at you? What do you mean? They are about to start ans- asking consider. questions. I don't know that there are answers. What do, what do they like mean? Like trees when you say wood? <laughs> what do they mean saying? coming from Ben Hosley, the man who, when we watched Treasure Planet for this show, mm. said, I was disappointed that the entire planet wasn't a treasure. <laughs> and we true. said, what do you mean? Like it was made out of treasure? And you went, no, like the planet is a chest. Right. <laughs> Right. right, absolutely. Right, yeah. Right. I stand by yeah. with, a, with a keyhole. Right, yeah. but, but right. So Ben is bumping on planet made of wood. Well, yeah, because I just, I mean, it, it, trees are made of wood, Correct. and trees cover a lot of the planet. Yeah, but is this just like a big? It's like a structure, man-made. Is it like the inside of a baseball? He, you know what I mean? Or, or a, yeah, you know, I think like kind a, just a solid. Well, wood planet. I pictured it more be, like it was a man-made construction exactly. out of yes. wood that right. is now in orbit. Somehow it has atmosphere right. now. Boards nailed together. 
But it's like the idea is that they're Ben's like rubbing Luddites. his hands together they, trying they to process this. They reject all technology right. and yeah. are populated by monks. By monks. And I think what I think is my favorite thing about all this is that they hear this and they don't go, please leave the office. Yes. Immediately, right. your parking will not be validated. Right. They're instead like, why don't you go and write Here's Wood $40 Planet. million. Dollars. Yeah, That's right. the thing. When, when you say this was your favorite era of Hollywood, it's like they wouldn't let you do this, but they'd think about it for a Wood while. Wood Planet, eh? <laughs> now and they're it all would be like, you know, how many women in STEM can be in the movie? Right. Like, to what extent can it not do anything? Right? You know, like, yes. the, how does it be, set up uh, number four? Right. How does it set Will Saudi Arabia be mad at us yeah. if we make this movie? Can he be recruited not, by G.I. Joe at the end? <laughs> and they're just like, <laughs> I don't know, write the Wood Planet script. Here's right. a brick of cocaine. And Right. You know, like, <laughs> see you in two weeks. Yeah. Um, so they start writing this. That's uh, part of the WGA strike, right? Uh, to guarantee yeah, it, that writers get a brick of cocaine on their first yes, draft. Exactly. Right. Colombian pure yes, cocaine. The good shit. Um, Chloe somehow catches wind, like, hey, they got someone writing a Wood Planet script. And he's like, are you fucking like pitting scripts against each other at this right. point? Like, what is going on? I could write a planet made out of something. <laughs> Absolutely. And so they're like, all right, fuck you. You're out. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going all in on Wood Planet. Yeah. Um, and Vincent Ward is writing Wood Planet, but he's like, I don't really know what to do with Ripley. I don't know why she would be here. Like this, I have just all these monk concepts. They bring in production designers and they're like, this is going to cost a fortune. Yeah. Like everything's going to be made of wood. Like are you crazy. And so finally, like some, it gets all the way up and some studio exec is like, can you nix the wood planets? <laughs> like, can we be done? And that was like a line in the sand for Ward. Uh, Ward leaves the project, yeah. um, but he does get a story credit. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you He's know. He's the only one with a story credit, which is I think. sort of bananas. Uh, the right. screenplay is credited to Guyler and Hill and Larry Ferguson, who whoever that is. And it's sort of this, com you know, they're mishing up the, the monks with the yeah. prison planet. They turn the monks into prisoners, but they're kind of religious. And you know, they're just one smushing the, everything together. One of the problems with the movie, I think, is that it, yeah, it, it, it kind of winds up being like, well, they're obsessed with religion, but they're right. prisoners. Right. But they don't really, I mean, their religious ideas are so nebulous and vague. I mean, they have Charles Dance almost like acknowledge that with a line of dialogue, how it's like, well, we don't, they're apocalyptic millenarian i don't know it's you know. vague they've turned to god in their desperate time but right yes it's a little vague what it, exactly it's one believe. of those classic studio too long development movies that has like 10 phantom limbs yes of like 100 clearly used to extend into something that actually functions <laughs> right and through all these drafts mushed together, nothing's been dropped completely. Right. And the other thing is that after all of these drafts, all of the writing, all of the developing, all the ideas, when they do finally get Fincher, they start making a movie without a script. Yes. Which is bananas and absurd also. It's like yeah. after all this time, because, because what happened, which we haven't said yet, is at some point during all of this ridiculous development, Fox is like, this is good enough you're coming out on X date. Yeah, and that's you exactly have to what hit happens. It. Right. And then they have to, and then when Ward leaves, they have to come up with a director. And then they have to basically, like, well, here's all the pieces of things we have. Right. How can we turn this into something that can, can come out on this date? And it's like a case of like, well, we've made these amazing sets. How can we fit them into a, this movie that we're making now? And how can we have prisoners who are also kind of monkish? And 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 the movie does, as much as I do like it, it does at times feel like a jumble of different disparate elements. Absolutely. But yes. Matt, to be fair, 
we have to give credit where credit is due. Every time a studio has said, this is good enough, just start making it, and we'll figure it out later, it, it has works. worked perfectly. Every time. You're right. Unfortunately, I take, I, 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 yeah. there are examples of that being true. Yes. And I do think that convinces studios, like, yeah, we'll be like fucking that movie. One out of 100. It's it's rare. Yes. And when you hear about it, not only is it rare, it sounds stressful. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I'd rather and that not would certainly that be the way. case here. <laughs> right. And Fincher, not, not only does it sound stressful, but you like read interviews with the people who worked on those movies and they were like, that was the worst period of my entire life. I don't view that as a, a career triumph. I mean, I think the thing that's cool about Alien 3, though, is that the, the parts of it that are coherent are the parts that reflect that process. Yes. Because you feel that kind of anger and frustration and negativity in the movie. I yes. mean, that it, that and the hatred of the corporation and how they're trying to – I mean, I, I, what I was going to say way a while ago that we I don't think I ever even said was like the, the alien in this movie is – David Fincher in some weird way. Did the corporation brings they want Love to a singer take. They want That's to control take. him. That's a good ass They take. want yeah. to right. they they're think, like they're hurting him. Come on, come on, go over there. Yeah, go yeah. Over there. They think yeah, right. just hang on to him. He's amazing. Right. Once we get him, think of the possibilities with this guy. Yeah. Just don't kill him. We can we can control him. Right. And they bring him in. And yeah. what does he just do? He just he refuses to go along. And right. it's like I, I just feel like you know, this is like the movie the alien would make. And, it's, and you it's know? the one thing they and, yeah. didn't account for. The, the director would have ideas. Yes. Right. Yes. And Ripley, right. in this case, is kind of Sigourney. Whereas I think most of the other directors have viewed Ripley as like their analog. Sure. Right? Right. In this movie, Ripley is the one person who's like, I know he's a little terrifying. I think <laughs> I kind of understand. I can deal with this. It's true. <laughs> Just lock me down there with him. It's fine. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get him where you need He's him to go. He's not going to kill me. I <laughs> know right, that at right. the very least. <laughs> right. I'm safe. Uh, Fincher does say that his initial pitch when they bring him in was more expensive. I mean, this is his quote, and it is the thing I think we'll find. He's a very quotable man. Mm -hmm. He's very funny, and he's very dry, and he he's just got away with words. Mm -hmm. uh, he says... Okay, my, my pitch was like a David Lean movie. It was about pedophiles in outer space. It was a huge Good. movie and very complicated and political. There were three Lance Henriksons running around. Paul McGann was a serial killer. At the end of the movie, I had the alien running around with 3,000 stormtroopers on the way. Mm -hmm. It was massive and strange. And I went like, you know, let, you know, like here's this movie. And they said, nah, we can have like 18 guys show up at the end. And I said, well, they should have a cool contraption then. And they were like, nah, we can't afford that. So – already they're just as he puts it cutting the balls off the thing right, right. they're like yes. like you said they're just like it's fine if it's one alien killing some guys yeah yeah just shut up just just, just classic, camera at it don't overthink Assholes. this yeah right um because it's an r-rated movie yes they don't want to spend 200 million dollars on it in fucking 1992 or whatever no, and I, I mean, I was talking about with someone the, uh, you know, there's a lot of hand-wringing going on at the time we're recording this in July about uh, the the perceived failure of Dial of Destiny and just like, how could Disney spend, th spend this much on 80-year-old Harrison Ford, right? Why would they make that movie at that number? Right. And I do think, whether or not this was part of their strategy, by just putting Indiana Jones back in theaters it does kind of boost the older Indiana Jones movies and their value to Disney, you know? Right, right. Yeah, yeah no, no, it, there's a whole tale. It, it boosts right, the yeah. value of him staying in the theme parks and all this sort of shit. Yes. And I think there was this version of, like, because there was all this machinery of them being, like, video games, comic books, toys, uh, cartoon Pepsi. show, Pepsi, all this shit, 
you know, what what Fox ultimately did and what Disney and buying Fox has recognized is just like the alien as iconography is so valuable. It is so valuable to have a third movie in theaters before a decade is up. Right. We just got to do something. Right. Right. And like the other stuff. That's why they thought about Wood Planet. Totally. And the other stuff that they're doing doesn't need Uh. to really have anything to do with the third movie. It just helps to have like posters in theaters. That but that's, that's why right. you can't do it this way of because course. that is what they were doing. They're just like, it's Alien 3. I mean, the, three. the first teaser for Alien 3 has is like, it it, say, it claims that the movie's going to be set on Earth. Yes. It's like they don't even really know they, what the movie they're no making they're is by about. the time yes. they're advertising they it. They said right. it couldn't be done, but there's a third Alien movie is basically their pitch. Yeah. Oh my God, wait, because aliens are kind of like space bugs. What if the like there was a new variant of aliens, but it was like termites and it started chomping down on the wood planet? Huge problem for the wood planet. That, that would wood be a fucking is, big yeah, perfect issue. movie. Perfect movie. Perfect. The place not even involved. It's just them eating wood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the monks fall through a hole. I just love right this idea that into I, space. I could yeah. just walk in there and be like, uh, whole planet's made of milk. And they're like, is there an alien in it? I'm like, yeah, sure. We could put an alien in that. And they're like, yeah, yeah get to work. It's fine. We just need there to be an alien movie. Uh, Fincher's the one who has the idea of shaving Ripley's head, which mm-hmm. is such a good idea. Incredible. Um, and, uh, you know, he doesn't want her to be, you know, fucking... You know, Ripley in her underwear dodging the alien, right? right? He wants her to be this sort of hardened figure. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, we decided the reason this keeps happening to her is because this she's cursed to do. She's cursed to fight this thing till it's Just over. Just the take I love. Um, it's my favorite thing about this. Yeah, if I'm Ripley, I'm never going to sleep again, by the no. way. Every time I right. wake up, I'm in a new fucking place with another goddamn alien. Yeah. And I have to explain to all these new people, like, you don't understand this thing is the worst. You do yeah. question the whole hypersleep uh, element of yeah, these movies seriously. at a certain point when it keeps happening. Um, uh, so, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, so blah, blah, blah? I, I'm just reading, you know, what if a planet was blah, scripts. blah, blah? What if a planet was blah, blah, blah? I think that was Fox's pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Look, there's tons and tons of fighting. We should talk about the plot, though. But, like, you know, the, the story of Fincher making this movie is just him constantly being slapped down by Fox over and over again in terms mm-hmm. of budget uh, and in terms of just, like, you know, taking too long to do everything and Fox being like, what is the matter with you? Yeah. Like, why are you not delivering for us as fast as we want? Yeah. Right. Uh, why is the budget out of control? All this <laughs> why, why can't you just give us this movie even though you don't have a script that's finished? What's wrong with you? A big thing they talk about in that mishmash commentary is that, like, Richard Edlund, a a legend of the field, basically at the top says, like, this is one of the very last, uh, like, totally photochemical, optically printed movies, right? right? There are a very limited amount of digital effects in the movie. It's mostly at the very end. Like, when the alien's head almost explodes, that's CGI, but it's really next to nothing. But there's, like, certain pieces of this that look really dodgy that people always outline. Mostly the alien. Right, yeah, which which around. is mostly uh, uh, rod puppet yeah. with digital removal. It is just that like the compositing is so bad, yes, uh, and that is largely because I think they were just like we do not have time to get they, this right. They lacked time and money. Right, I do think it could look better. And Fincher, like, in Fincher would have worked it until it looked great. You know, um, and there's a lot of just sort of like just put it in there. Just I mean, some of these shots top. in the assembly cut are like new shots too, right? Yes. Didn't they like insert a couple of things? I think there's a. I think they the when it first came out, maybe it wasn't, but then they made a second they version. Spruced it up a they little spruced better. it. I think they the also audio, brought in actors. Yeah, the right? audio yes. is improved. I right, know. because initially you could not hear the, the, the yeah. audio. Yes, like, and they had to have subtitles. 
<laughs> which is cute. I mean, I love the DVD for its kind of like, you know, popsicle sticks and, you know, bubblegum kind of like, yeah. look, we're just putting this together. Yeah, and this was also, this was that era where DVDs were so big that there was that thing of like, really, Scott, we'll give you $10 million to rework Blade Runner. Yeah, we're going to make so much right. money. Right? Like, yeah. there's actual budget being put into these reconstructing projects. Even though some of the, I totally agree, like, a lot of the, the shots you're talking about, they don't look good. No. Right. But, but then, on the other hand, there's, like, that exterior we talked about before that's gorgeous and amazing, and they oh. show it on screen in the theatrical cut for 45 seconds. I think a lot of this movie looks incredible, and I think, like, the... Uh, the effects work of the alien itself looks good. It's the combination of the right. two elements that don't look good. I mean, Ebert's slam on this movie was famously, it's like the best looking bad movie ever made. Sure. It oh, is Ebert, you say. Roger Ebert. Ebert, you say. Roger. Did you watch Ebert? We can talk about it later, I suppose. Interesting. Did you, did they have Someone a, should write a book about it. Did they have an Alien 3 review? They did. There is a, you can watch it on YouTube for yes. sure. Um, I assume they were negative. I Ish. At, that Either, was yeah. Two thumbs up, or is there? Uh, Let me find the, the a, thing here. I think that best looking bad down, movie was from the Seven review when they were talking about Fincher oh, sure. right. later. Hold on, but I was looking at. Um, I'll just while you guys are looking things up. So uh, two Uber. thumbs down. Yeah. Yeah, I literally have a hundred thousand word document on yeah. my computer I mean, with every review weird. they ever gave. So his, yeah, it just his, takes a second. His most damning things were things he said later, right? So Fight Club is when he said. Alien 3 is one of the best-looking bad movies I've ever seen. Alien Resurrection, Ebert says, I lost interest in Alien 3 when I realized that the aliens could at all times outrun and outleap the humans, so all the chase scenes were contrivances. Sure. I, I sort of know what he means. That, it's yeah. the problem of the alien of being so powerful. Yeah. Right. But then it's like, it's just always panic when the alien is there, which I find so exciting. And they have the and this and this movie specifically they have the the I, I call them like Raimi esque shots of the point of view yeah, the, the of the alien fish or, and, but they're yeah. like going around the the corridors are so cool I I love that shit it's I, sort of amazing no one had ever thought to do that I also think the like being able to outrun the alien for most of the movie isn't a problem when your movie is working towards the fixed endpoint of death is the only escape, right? Right. Because sort of the point it's making is like she's caught in this constant cycle. It's never killing her, but she's never totally freed of it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, look, as like as Fincher comes aboard, there's just yeah, still constant more rewrites, constant fighting. I forgot that Rex Pickett, mm -hmm. the author of the book Sideways, Sideways. was yes. brought in That's to do one last rewrite. And Fincher <laughs> took him out to dinner and was like, this is what's going on. This is what they're telling me. I'm telling them this they're not this is gonna be way over By the way, I'm not drinking Merlot. Go on. <laughs> And Pickett apparently was like, You are correct. They are crazy. Yeah. Sent a big memo to uh, Hill and Geiler. Basically being like, you need to listen to Fincher. He's like not wrong in telling you all this stuff. Um, but nonetheless, they basically go into production with an unfinished script. 45 pages of a script, you know, yeah. that they've That's been fucking need. fighting over for 10 years practically. Fincher says he tried to quit on day one and his agent was like, you can't. You, you'll never work in this town again. Like, you just have to do it. Yeah, and Fincher, as he talks about over and over again, it's just always I'll never do that again. Like, I'll never start a production without a finished script, without knowing exactly how much I'm going to spend and how long it's going to take, and blah blah blah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, supposed to be a 93 day shooting schedule. They Fox cut it to 70 days. Uh, they wanted 50 special effects shots. They gave him 25. 
Uh, so they did lots of 18-hour days to do, mm. deal with that. Sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it was incredibly stressful. Weaver, very positive about Fincher, just in general. Would and love ev- like always. To see them work together now. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's like, good point. Yeah, it's kind of surprising for how highly they speak of each other in a bad way. Uh, like set of circumstances. She's at the height of her powers in a yes. way. He's at the bottom, but yeah. like she's just always been like it sucked making that movie. But he was a total pro, like, right? And I think she and f- I liked he him. felt the same way about her. And they feel like they could do so much good shit together. Uh, totally. Um, Jordan Cronin with obviously is the supposed to be the cinematographer. Mm-hmm. He gets Parkinson's disease, is diagnosed with it. A few weeks into production, is replaced with Alex Thompson. Yeah. Uh, so that's one issue I think uh, that he, you don't want to yeah, run into. He, he barely shot anything, but he set the look. Yes, that then was kind of iconic. On. He the cinematographer, Blade Runner, obviously an iconic right. uh, figure. This would have been his last film. Yeah, I mean, he retired. He ends up not working yet. Yeah, um, uh, and then yeah. of course, obviously, his son becomes Cron- uh, uh, Fincher's uh, DP for for many wow. of his future films. Um, but I, they talked about in the commentary how much they tried to establish this visual style of. The camera is often very low. Mm. It's like sort of on the ground and especially within the prison, the sets all kind of have this like slats and grating so they can light it from underneath rather than above mm-hmm. and shoot up towards the ceiling, which I do think psychologically creates such a different feel than the previous two Alien movies where they're in very confined spaces, you know, where you're mm-hmm. in low ceilings, where you're in ships, where you're in like hallways and shit like that. Um, like the first scene where you see all the prisoners sort of like debating about what to do about this woman who crash landed and the camera's basically going up all their nostrils and they're being lit from under their chins. You're not wrong. Yeah. And they're kind of looming and they're kind of scary. Like, you know, you're like, who are these, you know, how much should I trust these guys? That's the other thing is that like the other movies have been like, you got blue collar grunts and then you have these evil corporate people, right? Yes. And uh, uh, the greatest evil more than the aliens are these companies, these corporations. Oh, it's the, the great villain of all these movies. Right. And then this, but but they often present themselves yeah, at first yeah, yeah. as being friendly. And then Rampley, this movie right. is starting out by introducing you to a bunch of guys and being like, these guys might be the problem. Sure. These guys might actually be the problem and you're going to be on edge trying to figure out who can be trusted or who can't. Because sure. you know, all of them are here for a reason in a way. So it is very effectively disorienting at that opening section. I think section. the cleverest thing is casting Dance because he is menacing. Dance right. Is so he's playing good. He's so good. a good guy in this movie right. who is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his motivations are good and yeah. then he gets his head uh, bitten by the alien. And it's more like poked, I think. Yes. Yeah. And then he is deceased for the rest of the film, does not right. appear. Right. And yet, even at the end of the movie, you're like, so is Dance on her side or not, though? Because you never right. know with that guy. You know? Right. He's got a barcode in the back of his neck. Yes. You don't understand exactly what he's doing there. And then right at the moment you get the answer, he's dead. Right. You start like, to get an And it's almost, in the theatrical cut, it's almost exactly halfway through. Yes. Right. It's and, and it's a great, right. like, shock moment I, I i one of the supplementary materials and i forget which one now uh i think it's one of the actors uh-huh. maybe is talking about how this like fincher would talk to him about his influence and be like well this is my hitchcock moment yeah. and he wouldn't say what the hitchcock moment was but then i realized it's this right it's yeah. this yeah. is the, psycho the killing yes. janet he lee even halfway put, through your right movie. and he even right. puts the the curtain the there curtain. the shower curtain it's I mean, like god bless yeah it's like it, once you put all those pieces together it makes perfect sense the problem is is that he is so good in this movie and then 50 minutes after yeah the last hour of this movie he's gone yeah and yeah you you there's a lot of other but guys, my man, my bald man, guys who sure. don't really 
I mean, but then my man Dutton is fucking bench pressing eight million pounds. Yeah. Um, But Dance is just such an interesting, a very alien character, sort of similar to Henriksen or Ian Holm, where you're like, this guy's sort of like soft and intelligent Mm -hmm. and a little dry in a way that I can't trust. Inscrutable. You're not entirely sure of his motives for a long time. But it's a doubling down. And she also does the dance. Well, mm-hmm. David, I would she too, does my friend. The dance. This is my point. It's a doubling down of this movie is like bone deep cynicism, right? Which mm. is like you start out at such a bleak fucking point. You place her in a really bleak environment mm-hmm. and then here's this one glimmer of light and especially when you're watching the assembly cut, it's an hour until he dies. Hour, hour time. Right. I think that's yeah. another benefit of the assembly cut is just you get to take a few more dances sure, with Charles. Sure, sure. You, you do a couple you more You stick on the dance floor for a little mm-hmm. bit longer. Yeah. Um, but you're like, oh, there's this glimmer of hope. This movie is almost nice as like someone finding love and connection in the wake of like great, great trauma, right? And then right at the moment where you feel like, is there a sliver? Maybe she's found someone again and right. it'll be okay. He's gone. Right. There's like nothing left for her. It world, is crazy basically. that she wakes up and they're like, so your friends are dead. Yeah. But lucky for you, you're in the worst place in the universe, <laughs> yes. and no one ever comes here. Right? They hate women, by the way. Uh, you're gonna you have to shave your. You're gonna have to shave your head because you we have sha- lice. You gotta right. shave your head. Uh, right. But even that may not discourage the uh, imprisoned rapists no, who correct. are everyone who is right. here who haven't right. seen a woman in decades. Right. Right. So, and if uh, you survive the rapist, don't worry. A lot of murderers in here too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Just general criminality, I suppose. Right. So bad that they got sent. But all, they're also like, yeah, this used to be like a real place. We used to like you know have thousands of people here yeah. well then thank everyone you joe left. biden yeah right um but just the idea of like these guys stayed yes so they, chose, they really suck they chose right. to stay yes. right we had it we said this is horrible we right. can't do this anymore and they're like well, basically like a cult of being awful well they're yeah. kind of like the people who never left chernobyl like sure. you know how everyone's like well russia uh, you, you soviet union evacuated that but like there's like 40 grandmas who are like I'm not fucking going. Who cares? So I get another head or whatever. Like, we're just going to tough it out. But I almost feel like these are people who self-identify as garbage and are just (laughs) like, I should not be in general (laughs) population. Um, So, yes. So Ripley is on. Mm -hmm. uh, What is the planet called? Fury. Fury. Uh, yes. One six one. I wonder if 161. that was a David Toey contribution. Pretty because then we get to Furio. He loves Furiosa, Furia even. Furio. Sorry, not Furiosa. Yes. Um, uh, so yeah, you've got. Uh, I guess so. If we're talking about the uh, cinematic cut of the movie, mm-hmm. the uh, alien who is on the ship, just like Ripley, gets into yes. a dog. Yes. If you're talking about the assembly cut, it gets into an ox. Right. Right. Because uh, that's the other. Great it doesn't thing. really matter, but it's just funny that it's different. I, yeah, I, I just like the the dog. If I, I really do have a preference here, and it is the dog, and I will tell mm-hmm. you why. It's I, just, I agree with you that the dog makes more sense. It makes more sense. They set it up better in the in the assembly cut. It's just like you and see the ox some ox corpse is cool. Yeah. Well, you see on the beach when they're retrieving her body ox, that everything's like, sort of things. oxen pulled. Right. <laughs> right. Right. But in the theatrical cut, you see the dog kind of barking, and you see yeah, the, the face dog, hugger whatever. looking. Right. And I just like personally. I just love the idea of again David Fincher being this nasty, mean spirited guy, being like, 
you know how they say like you don't gotta kill say dog. don't kill the dog. The dog. Yeah. Right. Guess what yeah. we're gonna do? We're gonna <laughs> twenty kill, minutes. Kill we're it, gonna like kill the dog. Yeah. And then if that's not bad enough, we're gonna have a child autopsy on it, top yes. of that. It, it also two ha- scenes later. It has the thing vibes as well, obviously. Yeah. Like yes. the, the dog that's you know a problem. I I like the oxen scene. It looks cool. Better. It looks it looks like yeah. It looks good. Interesting. Right. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. certainly like right. But like you don't see the alien and then you go like oh yeah that's an ox huge oxen vibe. You're more like that's kind of like a dog that feels like that was the studio note of like why is this an ox it behaves <laughs> like a dog people Fisher, are gonna be confused right <laughs> no that, one knows what an ox is that was a big thing i think from all these like aborted different uh drafts and everything the toy line that comes out at the time of this movie is alien as 15 different animals Mm. and they were like oh there was a point where there was like gorilla alien snake like you know springboard but then this it's like what are you looking for here it's like four-legged and it runs fast why the fuck are you making it an ox i yeah i I don't know i'm sure i can see if he had his reasons but the first hour of this movie is pretty slow yep even in the theatrical cut i would say the alien's not getting up to much he throws one guy into a into a fan. Sure, right. Well, it's slow after he's killed off the like most yeah, of the no, cast. No, no, for sure. Yeah. You know, like the other the other. I mean, Alien and Aliens start very they slowly do. too. With, you got to warm up the pot, and with way less sort of horror and nightmare. It's you know like they're Just much chat. more grounded yeah. and like detail oriented. Mm-hmm. This one, it's like the opening credits. There's already aliens and face huggers and that's, acid. That's and, true. And yes. then it does slow down. Yes. Um. But yeah, you know, she's uh, getting to know Dance, uh, who is Clemens. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's meeting, sort of meeting the other prisoners, though they're they're mostly she's mostly kept away from them. I feel they're like. so busy reading, right? You sure, you know they're just such smart guys. They're not super lost in prayer, exactly. Right. They're praying. praying. Yeah, right. they're just they're very like in their own heads, scholarly. Yes, mm. um, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, who've we got? We got Dutton, mm-hmm. uh, who plays Dylan, who's sort of the leader, the spiritual leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, who seems just like sort of like a rock solid guy, unlike pretty much anyone else, and the guy who kind of sort of burdened with like unspoken guilt. I was gonna say, where's his sins most heavily? Right. Yeah. Um. You've got Andrews, who is the warden, played by Brian Glover, who's just a classic fucker. Yeah. You know that guy is in like a gajillion British TV shows. Always is like you're like fuck that guy. He was he a, was actually bald, I think too. Like that's his look. Yes. He was a professional wrestler. Hell yeah. Uh, he started out as the Red Devil, and then he became Leon Aris, the man from Paris. Uh, uh, sure. His catchphrase was, ask him, ref, and how about that then? About um, that then? His kind of like famous uh, performances, I think the guy who warns them in the pub in American Werewolf in London. Right, right, um, sure. But they were talking about, they shot this movie in London in Pinewood, yep. and he was the guy that all the crew guys were like completely enamored Legend. with. Sure. Ledge. Right. An absolute well, fucking ledge. ledge. Right. Uh, um, he was the the all star on set. You yeah. got Ralph Brown as eighty five. Uh-huh. Uh, Aaron, they Named all call after... him eighty five. Got for his IQ score. Yeah, lower. Um, who I feel like I best know is Rick Ollier. Of course, uh, from Phantom Menace. Matt, if you remember Rick Ollier, <laughs> who could forget Rick? Uh, now Ollier? that th- I explains didn't recognize like him, but... piloting to yeah. uh, yes. Anakin. Yes, now I see. I'm looking at a picture of him. Of yes, and yeah. I believe he's the one who has uh, one of my favorite lines in Phantom Menace, which is when the ship starts blowing up because Anakin's you know doing barrel yeah. rolls inside of it or whatever. They're like, "What's happening?" He says, "We didn't hit it." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you guys suck. You sure no didn't. Shit. You guys do zero during this movie." 
Um, um, he also, I was rewatching Wayne's World 2 and had forgotten oh, he's that he's that? the roadie in that. Oh, that's right. He's, he's really, really funny in it. Really? Because I was like, who's he's this just sort of a very familiar comedic all star? Yeah. The brown oh, M&M story. Yeah. I love that. It's funny. I feel like we went hard on Rick Ollier back in the Phantom podcast days that's where you're funny. like, yeah, but you're also just like, this guy just feels like a placeholder. And it's sure. not yeah, it's not yeah. fucking Ralph Brown's fault at all. No, but he's, you're he's like, got a good look. there's no character written here. And then you watch him in other shit and you're like, this guy has the ability to pop. Oh, he's he's juicy. Yeah. 85 is another character that supposedly Fincher and, and Fox were fighting over. Yes. He wanted uh-huh. him to be like dumber. Right. To right. really play up the whole 85 is his IQ. This he or that. wanted and- 72. Fox wanted 97. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the I mean, 85 thing makes no sense. Happened. You're like, yeah. this guy seems perfectly smart. Like, right. I don't really get it. Right in the middle. To be right. Yeah. right. <laughs> um, you got Paul McGann, of course. the eighth doctor. I love to invoke that he's the, the eighth lost doctor. doctor, basically. Um, yeah. But uh, an esteemed British actor uh, mm-hmm. from With Nail and I and stuff uh, as Golick, who's basically not in the theatrical cut at all. Right. And is a major part of the assembly cut. He's yes. the crazy guy. Yes. Right. Um, who sort of worships the alien and keeps fucking things up for everyone else by, like, letting the alien go free. Right. And then basically batting cleanup, we have Pete Postlethwaite, the greatest face in the history of cinema. His character's name? Postlethwaite. Yeah. I love that. What are the odds? What uh, and you've got Holt McElhaney. Who I always... Uh, as like, uh, fucking Riddick. Yeah. He's got the he's goggles. He's got the goggles. Yeah. I'm always looking out for him, and I always, when he first shows up, go, I can't believe that's Holt McElhaney, because I just think of him as an absolute fucking brick wall of a man. Yeah. And he, he was looks leaner back then. He looks mm-hmm. real lean and kind of baby faced. Uh, yeah, great in this, great in Fight Club. Uh, he, Fincher, 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 reliable Fincher, yes, guy. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, brings him in for mind. Um, and then yeah, that's pretty much. And then you got a bunch of randos, but I feel like that's wow. it's it's a good group. Uh, Phil Davis, who I love, I love Phil Davis. Yeah, um, yes, it's a good group of guys. And. Uh, Phil Davis is the best. I just rewatched. Um, I have to say this. I'm so sorry. The, Please. Uh, 2000, I think five uh, miniseries Bleak House uh, adaptation of Dickens's Bleak House. The, the Gillian, Gillian Anderson. Gillian, Gillian Anderson, Anderson and yeah. very very many other people. Sure. Uh, and Phil Davis plays uh, Mr. Smallweed, who is a uh, moneylender, uh-huh. uh, villainous character, and he's yeah. always in a chair. He doesn't walk. He's okay. always being lifted around, and he's like. Uh, one of the best characters, and whenever he's brought into the room, he goes, shake me up, Judy! He's got this lady who <sighs> carries him, and she'll, like, pick him up by the shoulders and, like, shake him up to sort of, like, you know... It sounds like, like Arrested Development. It's genuinely those vibes. <laughs> That's the thing about Dickens. You're That's just like, this fan is wild. Dream. Shake me up, Judy! Yeah, I want someone to fucking bring me in and room to room in a chair and ask them to shake me up. Uh, but um, I do think when... This film was test screened. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of te- you know audiences were like, "Why are there eight English bald guys who I can't distinguish?" I mean, I still, th- I still think that when I watch it. <laughs> yes, uh, it definitely was a move to just be like, "Yeah, it's gonna be a bunch of dudes." And they're almost all English character actors. Yeah. We're not even really gonna, you know, you got Charles Dutton, but apart from that, not right. a lot of diversity. Right. Uh, they're all kind of similar ages. They're dressed. They're wearing the same clothes. Yeah. They have the same haircut. Yeah. yeah. Not even any tattoos, which would have been helpful to differentiate. Macklin has like a little teardrop. Yeah, I think that's about it. That's, yeah, about, that's it. about it. Obviously, yeah. they got the bar, the barcodes, right. uh, but they all got those. Let's hire like fifteen Karens boys, shave yeah, them all, and just, put them in burlap. They're they're just. I just. To me, this is another classic Fincher yes. hostility gesture. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I don't hate it. I just understand a studio maybe. I mean, I think there are different confused. ways you can defend it, uh, yes. for sure. But definitely one of them is just like as a like 
just a big F you to the audience. I mean, I guess if you're paying a lot of attention and watching very closely. You watch it over and over. And you watch it over and over. Have a guidebook in hand. Yeah, you yeah. can. But it does, I guess it does sort of make you pay attention. I guess you know, they're banking on people watching it in mother mode where pop-up That's style what they, it just points to As Venture intended, which This was the guy who was doing this beginning. in that other scene. Um, so, I mean, Rip, okay. Ripley, Ripley being bald, which maybe you have to justify this way, mm-hmm. 100%. It's like, an incredible s- move. Not only just visually striking, like, it gives the whole Joan of Arc thing yeah. to the yes. movie. Yes. Like, an undeniable, uh, the look of her, it, like that, with the bald head. Yeah. You know, even before the ending where she's jumping into a vat of fire, like it's it 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 makes that it like sort of foreshadows that right from the get go. And even the sort of like the the ego soul death of the whole thing, where it's like she's just removing everything. Right, she's right? just like a living skeleton at this yes. point, almost. Like, I feel like the shot of it is her insane for her to film this six months after having a baby. It is. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't do it. No, <laughs> I mean, I guess she was paid like ten million dollars, but still. But to be fair, they did offer you eight million dollars six months after <laughs> your daughter was born to do Alien Five, and you said no. It was a bold uh, move. It was a bold move. Um, the shot of her, you know, sort of whimpering as the alien is inches from her the face. Shot. That happens right after. Is that the Vance most dies. iconic yeah. shot in the Alien I franchise? Was making That's this an interesting argument. To Marie Barty yesterday. Like, as it's much up there. as... Yeah. And obviously, that's sort of a specific, you know, criteria. But but single but image? But it kind of is. Yes. Right. Yes. And her being bald is so crucial to her iconography, even though it's in the least liked right. Alien yes. movie. Yes. And I mean, the other thing about the bald aspect of it, especially, and it it's, it's like in that moment, it becomes heightened, is that from certain angles, she has like this almost alien-esque presence yes. now that she's totally, bald. Totally. Yeah. And now that she's become potentially the mother of the new alien. I mean, yes. she's it, already it, it such reflects, a like, it, I interesting mean, physical presence. She's yes. so tall and skinny mm-hmm. and, yeah. But yeah. like, it's not just, well, she'll look striking and cool. Like, it, like there are many different ways to defend. I don't know about defending all the dudes being yeah. bald and hard to keep track of. But, so, you know, but Ripley having that haircut, I think, adds a lot to the movie on a th- bunch of different levels. That's the other thing. To get back to my point of this being a fascinating movie for her to make after she's had a kid that's so much being haunted by the loss of Newt. Sure. The other half of this movie is her realizing she is pregnant with a thing she absolutely does not want. Right. Absolutely. Like, just two fascinating it's, mental states for someone who just had a child. And the weird, uh, you know, it's a security blanket for her, and also it's her death. Yep. Impending death, so she knows this is it. Right. In it's, a the, way. it's the thing that's keeping her alive and the thing that makes her want to kill herself. I mean, it's what makes the most sense about the ending, which mm-hmm. we can talk about, obviously, which is yeah. just like they come to her and they're like, We can handle this. We'll take the alien out. You'll be fine. You'll go back and cry asleep. And at that point, I think everyone in the audience is like, Not only do you not trust them, you're just like, You're just going to fucking wake up back to more aliens. Right. Right. It is time to end this. There is one like, way this ends. Right. Like that is actually. A worse option than yes. jumping into lava. Absolutely, mm. right? I choose the lava every time. No, I would go. I'd go. I, I, I love uh, Henriksen. I just want to pal around with that oh, guy. Sure. Um, right. Yeah. Early in the film, after the autopsy of Newt and all this other grimness, mm-hmm. she does boot up Henriksen, a uh, bishop. <laughs> I love this. This weird. You're into this bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's so, so good. He's so gooey. It's a beautiful. The one fucked up eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The way he talks. I mean, just the best trick in Alien, having the robot sort of half be able to talk. Yes. Ah, it's so good. 
Um, but this was like almost, I, it might have been a record number of servos within the face of this thing. That makes sense. And I do think the Love fact that it's like, the thing is crashed and it's been a while and it's sort of deteriorated and all of that helps them because you're like, well, it's a really good likeness and any part of it that's less animated than the real actor you saw in the last movie is like degradation of a broken robot. I assume you're a Henriksen guy, Matt. Sure, absolutely. I mean, and, yeah, and he's awesome. I mean, get yeah, both parts in this movie. He's really good. Yeah. He's really good in both parts. I mean, he's also a reason. He like gives Alien versus Predator a star by itself. Like he's yeah, just like agree. a genre movie Hall of Fame. Hall of Famer. Wait, wait, when's the last time we've seen him? He's pretty old. I, that's why I'm asking. He's like, 83 years is old. Is he sort of soft retired? Unless he's doing direct-to-video. Oh, he's doing direct-to-video movies. Okay. Well, yeah. that's the he's, answer. He is the he narrator. He made five movies last year. He's the narrator of that Alien 3, like the audio drama, the William Gibson oh, Alien sure. 3 God audio drama. I like that. Uh, yeah, he has... Uh, he has one gajillion credits on IMDb. Yeah, he's got a credit called Bring Me the Head of Lance Henriksen, in which he plays Lance. Good. Mm. Post-production, filmed in 2010. Uh, Can't wait for that to come uh, out. I don't know if we're going to see that one. No. Did you guys ever watch Millennium? No, I know you were a big Millennium not. guy, right? That's that's again, your, that's your a shit. A great era of TV where they're like, I don't know, put it on Friday nights, like, and it's just like they would just air this shit. It's so weird. That show is demented. Mm. Um, classic X Files blank checks type thing where he's like, sure. can I put my like weird sort of kind of Illuminati conspiracy theories with like dark violence on Friday nights? And they're like, yeah, anything fine. you want, yes, yeah, you can. Whatever. It's sort of vaguely X Files connected. Great, let's do it. Uh, I also want to, I do want to read this quote. This is mm -hmm. from uh, Rick Birnbaum, who was in charge of Fox at the time. Uh, he said, well, first, uh, you could have someone piss against the wall for two hours and call it Alien 3, and it would do $30 million. <laughs> I mean. And then he later said, I can release a 15-minute black screen, <laughs> and it would do 15. <laughs> Which I don't think is the right attitude for them to have, to yeah. be clear. Like, they do have this power of, like, why are you, why do you care? doesn't matter. We already right. opened the movie. It's called Alien 3. Students right. used to have more contempt for the people who went to go see the movies than the people who made <laughs> the movies. The wall. Right. There used to be, there's a flip now where now they're just like, well, the audience is king. Fuck you, you shitty writers. <laughs> How dare you have an idea. Right. right. So uh, what happens next in Alien 3? It's kind of a plot light movie in a way. Right. Very, very much so. They just are here. They're in this shitty place. And then there's one alien. Yes. And they, which I think is the right move. Yeah, you're back to the sort of original alien slasher vibes of people getting picked off one by one. This is a unique alien, though. This is a dog it's, alien. It's a doggy yeah. alien. Uh, it's it's a nasty little freak. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the kills in this movie aren't even that insane. No. The guy I, getting fan chopped is kind of sure. cool. But that's the first that's one. That's the first one. Yeah. And then after and, that, I well, mean, the, the, the dance, dance scene is really awesome. Cool. Yes. But, yeah. you're, but then it does become, even as cool as some of the um, POV shots are, it those does are get cool. a little repetitive when he's just kind of picking off bald guys <laughs> right. in those tunnels. Like yeah. Brian Glover getting sucked into the sort of ceiling is like a fun jump. Mm -hmm. But it's not actually like a sort of graphic kill or no. anything. And then after that, I couldn't even tell you. I'll say I mean I, Charles Dutton's death is is very triumphant and tragic, 
But that doesn't even really involve the alien. He I just do gets, uh, feel the repetition of the environment too, right? Yeah. Where you're just like, uh, you know, the, the who ended up being the DP on this movie who replaces Cronenworth? His name is Alex Thompson. He's best known for Excalibur. So he was talking about he entered into this. Cronenworth had set yep. everything up, and uh, Cronenworth and uh, uh, everything had been art directing. He's just jumping into an already moving train, right? And he was like, "I'm." I was very appreciative that uh, David had already designed his movie where everything was gray because I hate white walls and they sort of sting the light and they bounce the light back off and it's hard to light actors against white walls and whatever. And it was really good for sort of absorbing the light and letting me focus on the actors. And you were like, right, but the entire movie... Especially when you're not on the assembly cut, you don't have the brief glimpse of the outside world. Yeah, there's world. no pops of color or light. Right. It's either gray or you're in, like, the furnace. The furnace. And then it's sort of lit with, Orangey. like, a red diarrhea. Yeah. Right. A sort of <laughs> yeah, rust it's, color. It's a dirty furnace. Yes. <laughs> what do they make? They make, like, metal sheets or yeah. whatever? Yeah. Covers for toxic waste <laughs> containers. <laughs> right. And I think... They're the, basically like a box factory. <laughs> yes. I think these sets are great, but yeah, you also really feel cool. in a movie where it's mostly just about people continually getting hunted down by the alien in hallways, you're like... So they have, like, one hallway they keep shooting from different angles, yes. right? Yep. Yeah. Yes. I do think that's what was going on over at old Pinewood Studios. It's like how freaks and geeks or any high school, they really just had the one, the, you the know, tea. hallway. Yeah, you yes. know, with the... Right. Exactly, and you just kind of move it around. Yeah, um, because yeah, you, in in look in the uh, in the theatrical cut, mm-hmm. they're basically just like let's hurt him down there and get him. Yes, in the assembly cut, they do that, lock him down there. Then he gets unlocked by Paul McGann, right? Reescapes, and then they do it again. Yeah. Right. It really just kind of drags it out more, which is the understandable objection. That, right, that to I the think is the, the smartest lift. Right, that they right. kind of clean that up. In any description of, like, the changes, that's always like, well, this is the biggest change. But I think it speaks to the fact that you can remove that entirely from the basically. movie. Right. And basically, right, and some people say, well, that character, you the Gola the character. character. Yeah. Sort of interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Right, but again, he, he, everyone everyone except a handful are so interchangeable anyway. Like, do you really, like, I always, I never realized he vanished because they all <laughs> well, look alike to me yeah. anyway. So, sure. like, I just assumed he was one of the bald dudes that got killed. Like, he, I didn't know. He's, like, I feel like they do better versions of him later. Mm-hmm. Like with Dave, the David character in the Ridley Scott movies. The yes, movie. yes. Of this guy who's like, I kind of worship the alien because it's so beautiful and strange. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's not for profit motive. I'm just kind of like, hot damn. Right. Yeah. thing's crazy. Right. And like, it's a fun thing to float. But I think even in the assembly cut where you get his full arc, he's mostly an irritant. Yeah, he's it's not. not I mean, it's not really a crucial. full arc. Yes. Um... And uh, there's, there's, let's see, there's the sequence where she gets her um, chest scanned mm-hmm. to find that she has an alien queen inside of her. Which, fellas, don't you hate it when that happens? It sucks. Um, but her learning that there's an alien from uh, Bishop, mm-hmm. from the remains of Bishop, yeah. and her learning that she has an alien inside her are things that the audience has already figured out. Yes. Way, yes, way and before they this. draw these reveals out. Yeah. Another benefit to theatrical version is just yes. like, I think the audience puts it together very quickly. And beyond that, it helps to make the movie a little shorter because once these two realizations are in place, you're like, she kinda... must die. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You're like, we're prolonging the inevitable. This is another also an element where it feels like we're, we've made a movie out of 10 pieces of five movies. Yes. Where yes. it's like, sometimes this spaceship they crash landed on is so destroyed, she needs to like 
find the remains of Lance Hendrickson in a garbage pile and like yeah. jury rig a way to talk to him. <laughs> What's going on, buddy? <laughs> and then later in the movie, she goes into the remains of the ship to like scan her body and it works perfectly. And I know. you're and you're like, wait, is why, this sh- why is there an MRI machine in that here? That still it's, works. I know, I know. And right. That, and that's one of the things where they're like, well, we need, you know, it's like it's necessary right. for the story. And it's like where you you feel the fact that they did not have a script and they're just yes. kind of filming scenes and then it'd be funny if they woke Hendrickson up and he was like, Are we on the wood planet? And she's like, no, they they fucking they cut fucking, that. They cut like, God damn! Like four drafts. That sounded ago. so cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I know. Um, so uh, they they do have a triumph, and I do think it's important that they have their triumph. Mm-hmm. They kill the alien, right? That they douse yes. it in steel. They smelt him, and then they cover him in water, and he shatters. Yes, it's an invent inventive death. Yes, uh, and Charles Dutton gets this big moment of like you know. Do it, you know. Yeah, uh, he's right. down there and he's yelling, he's bellowing. He away. doesn't. He doesn't want to kill, or he doesn't want Sigourney uh, to die. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he's like, "You can't die yet. You go up ahead." Right. That's, and then he's like, yeah. he just lets the alien kind of kill him. Yes, he sort of keeps the alien down there so they can sort of yeah. steal all over it. And I always wonder, like, if they're just gonna, if the whole thing is anyway. Uh, it's a fair question, but they do need to kill the alien, I suppose, because if right. the bishop and the company showed up and the alien was still alive, they would be like, great, we'll take it. Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. And I then, always just yeah. wonder, like, why doesn't he let her be the bait? It's a fair question. Because it would kind of kill, literally kill, but like, two birds with one he stone. He seems, one, both burdened with so much guilt over right. whatever he's right. done, ready to die, and two, doesn't, well, he likes her, I guess. Mm-hmm. But you're, yeah, everything you're saying is a, a, a hole I might poke mm-hmm. in in this airtight screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, Griffin. Yes. I don't know if you're looking at anything particular, but the the, oh, um, the ending of this movie is pretty great. Yeah, I just... I have, like, no beef with the final showdown. Th- that's what I was looking up. I, I, before we get to that, I do... I think it's what I like about Dutton's performance so much, right? Yeah, you love Dutton. And Charles S. Dutton is a man who served time he in did. prison. Yes. Right? There is like a, a verisimilitude to this performance and is a guy who like discovered theater and acting when he was in prison and was a man who came out a very different person than he entered in, right? Yes, you can read all about Charles Dutton's uh, like uh, life and, you yeah. know, and his conviction of manslaughter in the 60s and all this. Like it's, yes. it's, uh, it's fascinating. Fascinating life. Yes. Uh, but, but this is the one guy who it feels like it feels like he needs to spend the rest of his life atoning for what he's done wrong. Which, do we even know what it is? He has the one line. This is what I was looking up. Uh, she said, I want to say thanks for what you said at the funeral. My friends would have appreciated it. Right. Right. Because right. he sort of gives the um, uh, Jesus. eulogy. 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 Right. Thank you. Good Lord. Right. For uh, Newton Hicks. And he says, yeah, well, you don't want to know me, lady. I'm a murderer and a rapist of women. Right. That's his one comment. Um, Which, don't know if that's right. In the assembly cut, Holt McElhinney tries to uh, assault Ripley. Yes. That, that's not in the theatrical cut, right? I, or no, no. I'm sorry. Is. It's his it's, sacrifice that's not in the yes. theatrical cut. Right. right. He has this moment midway through the movie where he yes. like distracts the alien. Yeah. No, yes. no. But the assault, the, the assault, assault is, is still in right. there. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I always forget. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there's the difference of like, as we said, these are all the guys who chose to stay, right? Who are like, we belong here. We don't belong anywhere else. And I think for the other guys, it's a little bit more of like, we actually maybe enjoy being in a society that is somewhat lawless where you are amongst your own kind. Right. And, and Dutton is sort of like, he is 
the moral one uh, right. who is just mostly there as means of like self-flagellation. Is that fair to say? Like, it feels like his worldview is like, I do not deserve to yes, engage 100%. I can with never people anymore. Not that I feel yeah. more comfortable than it. And I think his whole fight with Ripley wanting to kill herself is this idea of just like, uh, th- that's that's not the way to punish yourself, right? Mm. The way to punish yourself is to live and to be a better person. But he's viewing the prism of her wanting to live or not via entirely her own suffering versus the idea of like, this this loop she's caught in, right? Especially when she knows she has the baby inside yeah. of her. It's a little baby. Yeah. Um, what's her big line she has? Uh, where is it? Uh, I don't know. When, when... I don't know. Sorry, when they're, when they're talking... Uh, uh, when they first heard about this thing, it was crew expendable. The next time they send Marines, they were expendable too. What makes you think they're going to care about a bunch of lifers who found God at the ass end of space? You really think they're going to let you interfere with their plans for this thing? They think we're, we're crud, and they don't give a fuck about one friend of yours that's died, not one. Sure. It's like, that's where she's at at the end of this, which is just like... No human is respected. Right. No. no which human is which company is she talking about there exactly? The one in the movie or ex- I th- met- I mean, meta-textually outside the well, movie? Yes, yes. Right. Yeah. It's just like whatever it takes to get it done. And I think she understands that like not by choice, but she has become complicit in the cycle of this thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so the ending is the way Lin-Yutani Commandos come out with these puffy... They just look cool. They look fucking cool. It's just such a great... I just love them. I love Wayland Dutani. They're very, I know, like, Mobius Isn't kind that what of... Noah Hawley's show is kind of about or something, right? Like, I... That's the whole... I get it. Yeah. Like, I get the idea of, like, let's... What's up with these freaks? It's probably yeah. a bad idea because they're probably best as this thing you Unseen, ladle out. Right. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, just a little bit of. Yeah. Right. Uh, and even... I love the Prometheus and Covenant. I'm, like, huge defender of those mm-hmm. movies. But, like, the more you hear about the company and them the worst you don't right. need, you yeah. don't really need yeah. a little goes that. a long way yes um but just them showing up in hazmat suits yeah and weird goggles but they're like pillow hazmat suits yes yeah and they're just like where's ripley hey and then bishop being there and him being like i'm the real bishop i'm right. not i'm, not I'm a the robot. real bishop that the robot bishop was modeled after but i'm here to be a friendly face and just to give her the and you're like I mean, the joy of it is you're just like, I don't even know if he's the real bishop. Right. Like, yeah. Like, and either I, is possible. Either is possible. Both are bad. When she attacks him, there's this prosthetic of his ear sort of yes. falling off. Yes. And it doesn't have the classic milk bloody. blood. Right. But it also doesn't look doesn't totally look human. human. Yes. Which is perfect. And it's yes. one of those It could things, just be makeup that's weird. It could just or be a weird be, prosthetic. He's a robot. Right. Yes. And a more advanced robot in the time since she's gone into cryosleep, they don't have milk blood anymore. Now they look more realistic. Now they're more Terminatory or whatever. But it does speak to that point where it's like, it doesn't fucking matter, you know? Yeah. When she's at this point having the conversation with him, it's like, nothing means anything to me anymore. I don't care if you're a robot or you're a human who reminds me of the robot I used to know. Which, by the way, doesn't really make sense. How long was she in cryosleep? Um, she's only been in cryosleep for a little while, right? Okay. For this one. I don't know that they say exactly. They may not say it. Yeah. They but make I a think, big deal in the second movie how long she oh, was asleep. Oh, it's been 80 years right. or whatever. Right. Sure. I and think this one, one is supposed to be faster. Okay. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm just like, how How would the guy who made Bishop look like himself, how old would he be mm, now? I see what you're saying. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, 
is Bishop a top of the line model in Aliens? It's a great question. All, but of all course, questions. obviously, the joy of the Aliens world is also we don't understand what technology is like. Right. People might live four hundred years in the fucking right. the outside world is right. so unknown. Especially to rich us. people. Like yeah. you, you don't know. You don't know. The the whole joy of Aliens is you never know. Yeah. Right. You're always on the fringes of whatever society they're in. Yeah. There's always this concept that you sort of get of like there must be rich, fabulous wealth. Right. And we're just like all the way over here, right? right. Like you know, we're always yeah. at the edge of it. Ugh. It's my favorite franchise, Matt. I don't know how you feel about Aliens. It's it's up there. It's way up there for me. Even though it's constantly fucked with. Yes. Yeah. And often disappointing. Although I love the Ridley Scott sequels. Yeah. Wrigley Scott. Bigley Scott. Yeah. Big League Scott. She yeah. So she's yeah. She kills herself. She, she dumps, kills herself. You know, in the theatrical cut, the alien bursts out of her. Right. And she sort of goes. Ooh. Or whatever. Pushes it back in. <laughs> uh, I don't recall the noise, but the, yes, the sentiment like, is there. Uh, and then in the assembly cut, she just dies in this more Christ-like kind of just pose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the assembly cut has that sort of closing montage. Is that in the original it's in, cut? It's yeah. in the other one, too. Which is quite yeah. nice of like yes. just doors closing this and her is, sign off. This is what I have on my mic arm here is yeah. the thing from the theatrical cut, which is it's supposed to be a queen chestburster. Uh-huh. Um, cool. Right, which is what's coming out of her. Right. right, right. So it's not just that she has an alien. Yeah, no, inside of course. Of her, that's why the alien the one doesn't gonna, want to kill her. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it's a good ending, mm -hmm. if nothing else. I'm not sure people were walking out of the theater thrilled to see that that had happened, but it's very effective. And would, it, it, wouldn't it, you love to go yes. back and see how people walked that's out of the theater on this yeah. one? I truly would. Like, yeah. and we're gonna do the box office game and everything else in theaters right now. Fun for the whole family, right. by yeah. and large. And then it's just like, by the way, fucking Alien 3, if you want to be bummed out and whipped with chains. Right. And yeah. again, that's part of the, to me, that's part of <laughs> the appeal is that is the, you know, like, God bless the sequels that are just like, you know what? Forget it. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you like these movies? Guess what? We hate them. And we're we done with you them. Too. That's my thing. I will basically never not love this movie. Anytime I am actively rewatching and I'm like, middle sags more than I remember. Sure. It does kind of lose its way. You're, yeah, there's things but you can say. The opening I find so strong in both versions. And the ending is just incredible. And I'm just like, the, the, the basic attitude of this movie to its uh, position of being the third film in a beloved mm. franchise and its sort of response to that pressure, I, I just adore. And I do think even despite all the problems he had making it and hating it and, you know, now he wants nothing to do with it and he won't go back and work. Like there is some sort of kernel of fincheriness that is fincher. in this movie. Like, yes. And all of that, all that hostility and anger. There and, is nothing anonymous about this film. Right. If this movie was directed by fucking Robert Longo or whoever, right. right. And like, you're like, yeah, he never really did much. What a weird thing. It would, it would be way less interesting. Yeah. It's like the seeds of Fincher. It is. Yeah is so much more interesting. Right. right. What's and the I line about in every seed in every seed there is the promise of a flower, they wow. say in this movie. Wow. Um mm, think about it. Know, we've covered a lot of first films where you're like, this this director kind of has a worldview, but they maybe haven't crystallized how to express it yet and they don't have command of the language of film enough yet to get the ideas across, right? You see the little glimmers, but this thing is very primordial. And this is almost an opposite example of like, the guy had the full tool set, yeah. but was not given the reign to or do it. Or the time or the money. Or right, the, right, yeah, right. Yeah. but it's like, it's all Control. in there and so much of the stuff that all the different guys mushed together in that commentary track, Matt kept on saying is like, we were just really impressed day after day how much this young guy was really fighting 
to make things the way he wanted. Right. You know, you just kept expecting. You've seen this before. These guys roll over. They fold. They give up at some point. Right, because it's easier. Right. And even as much as he's just like, I lost it. I lost this movie. I can't rewatch it. You're like, the whole thing looks like a Fincher movie. The whole thing feels like a Fincher movie. It is not at the level of excellence that he hits later yeah sure well, oh but his sure. fingerprint is on con- every single also aspect just of the film the, the control freakery you hear about right i'm sure if i sat him down and watched it one he would just shoot me in the face yes uh for making him do that point. yeah uh but two like the second he sees the rod puppet not of looking course. right he would just right. be like ah oh, jesus christ right. you know like you know because that's his reputation right Th- there's uh i'll talk about it in the panic room episode but there's like a feature where you can watch most of the movie pre and that was like the most thoroughly pre yes, movie at that point that. in right. time right and there's a a, a clip um, one of the behind the scenes features that is them screening the previs for him on like, you know, like a 10 by 10, like CRT monitor. Right. right. And he's standing like two inches away from it and they're playing the previs in real time. And he is nonstop just going like that needs to be two inches lower. You need to come in 10 degrees that way. This needs to be five degrees brighter. Like he, every single image, he never stops talking over the cuts, over the movements, over everything. And it's like he's saying like close, but you know, mm-hmm. none of it's like, great job. That was great. He's not waiting for it to be finished to give his notes in real time. Like a computer, he is processing everything that is like a millimeter incorrect with it. And I, I just I just like that every, you know, not maybe not everything, but so yeah. much of what this movie is. I, I, I think we've said it's not perfect. There's problems. No, not perfect. But the, so many of the things that we have praised and like about it, like yeah. d- come directly from him you know yes. what i mean like yes. his his fingerprints are so much the stuff the good stuff in this yeah, movie. absolutely um i want to tell you that when he finished the film he showed it to joel schumacher uh-huh. uh who he says one of the most gregarious and studio politically astute people savvy which yes. makes sense uh-huh. makes sense i've met joel schumacher and you certainly always hear i always a real sweetie nice man you met him of course and you had a bizarre uh, audition experience with him Again, not criminal. Yes. Just I'll, uh, I'll retell You've told the, the story one many sentence times. version of it, sure. which is I asked him a question about interpretation of the scene, and his response was, "I find that acting is similar to sex. If you ask people if you're doing it right, you're probably not doing it right." Right, which is clever. And you say you ask if you're doing it right all the time. I, I said I, I constantly ask during sex right. if I'm he doing was like, it. Right. Mm, okay, yeah. um, so you are not cast in my movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of his worst movies. It was one of his worst. I auditioned five times for that fucking. Is movie. it twelve? Is that what it's called? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, he shows Joel Schumacher Alien Three, and this is when Joel Schumacher is a pretty big deal. I would sure. Say. Yeah. Uh, and Joel Schumacher's like, first of all, this movie is okay. Uh-huh. Like. It's not as bad as you think it is. Mm-hmm. The That's good nice. news is you're aiming high. The bad news, of course, is that means you're going to be disappointed. Right. Uh, you're an overachiever. You're miserable. Right. Uh, number two is you put yourself in a position where they have more power than you because you care and they don't. Right. I mean, it so actually sounds like you can't let this happen He's again. actually diagnosed the whole movie and 100%. what happened right. very right. well. Uh, and I, he basically I, yeah. tells him, like, you just can't do this again. Like, if you want to make a movie, you just cannot be in that position again. Because right. you're going to be unhappy. It already probably haunts Fincher anything he rewatches in his own work where he's like, that isn't what I want it to be because of technical limitations or me just having the wrong view at the moment. Right? Yes. I mean, what, what he can't live with is watching it and going, like, 
I know how this should have been done, and they wouldn't let me. I mean, he'd rather fail by his own failing. He's at the point the movie comes out, I think he's about 30 or 29 or 30. And he's probably thinking, like, I'm going to be seen as the fucking 20 something. They gave $50 million to make an alien sequel, and I fucking shat the bed. The guy who screwed up exactly. Early early 90s, there's already this wave of like these music video directors are all flash and substance, and they get a movie and they have nothing to say. Like, I will just be seen as like the the mad enfant terrible. Like, right. oh, they never should have given the fucking Vogue video director, right. you know, the keys to the kingdom. It's not really until, like, later, you know, until Seven and then Spike Jones that people are like, okay, I guess good directors can come out of music videos. Right. Uh, here's a great quote from Paul McGann, who said there were more producers around than actors. <laughs> it's like well, having a fucking audience for every scene. Okay. Uh, so, you know, vibes on set were really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else interesting in here? Obviously, they um, he asked to do six weeks of reshoots. Fox gave him eight days. Jesus. Uh, so um, they uh, basically, as is classic with reshoots of these kinds of movies, they were like, more scares, please. Can you just shoot some scares? Like, yeah. You know, get this nastier. Whereas now it feels like most blockbusters, the reshoots last longer than principal mm-hmm. photography. Right. And so like, there was a whole thing with this movie I know about with the hair, <clears throat> the hair again, because she had grown they her had hair to back. Build oh, this sure. like, bald pat cap that was complicated. Right. It was like, well, but it was like if she if she had to cut her hair again for any reason, they owed her like right. they, forty they grand. They had to pay her more. Yeah, right. and they yes. so instead they paid like twenty grand <laughs> right. to make the world's most advanced makeup bald cap. And then they needed to use it again, and they were like, shit, did we throw that away? And then they, like, found it in it, some like, pile. It changes the whole shape of someone's skull yeah, at that it's point. Fucking insane. If you're putting baldness over tucked-away hair. Yeah. Um, obviously, advertising campaign for this movie is incredible. The mm-hmm. bitch is back mm-hmm. and all that, um, you know. Uh, cubed. Alien Cubed. Uh, yeah. This film did get an Oscar nom for visual effects. Uh-huh. Lost it loses to, to Death Become Her. Yeah. Which has very iconic visual effects. Visual effects. Visual effects. Was seen as more uh, revolutionary. Was nominated alongside no. Batman Returns as uh-huh. well. Okay. Um, Schumacher. Uh, it came out on May 22nd, 1992. So... The, the other great tagline, I'm sorry, is just this time it's hiding in the most terrifying place of all. Ripley. Well, that's the thing. I think right. that it, it, going into the movie, you're like, prison. Oh. <laughs> and then the answer is her womb. We didn't even mention, like, my... Single favorite part of the movie, which is the the opening logo with that music sting. Oh, uh, da, yeah. da, 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 da. like they don't give you the end of the twenty. Right. It's so good, yeah. so good, yeah, so good. I, Not I just for this movie, but I yeah. feel like also for Fincher. It feels yes. like a perf. Like how many Fincher movies could start with that right sting? Just a lot of them. So cool. Yes. And it uh, also uh, and the opening credits are cool. Yeah, and it's Infinite, yes. I feel like it's right before they switch be cool. over to the CGI 20th Century Fox logo. Yes, they, it's yes. A, it's the painted logo. It feels so. late the before the painted, painted logo. logo. It does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, Elliot no, uh, no. Goldenthal. Like, Elliot Goldenthal's score for this is great. Elliot Goldenthal. I'm a huge defender of his 90s scores. They are operatic Batman and scores intense. I love his Joel Schumacher Batman scores. Yeah. I love his Heat score. Yeah. I don't know where he went. I know he's Julie Taymor's husband. Yeah. And he's around, I guess. He does but like opera and stuff. Right. But he, like he had a real fun run in the 90s. Yes, where it, he was becoming sort of Elfman style, an unconventional blockbuster composer, a guy with a weird background who was fitting really well into these large movies and giving them a little more personality. Yeah, Since but, Public yeah, Enemies, Jesus. he's just done t- Julia Taymor's movies. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he did Our Souls at Night as well. He has yeah. a good quote on, I, I think it's on the documentary where he says that Fincher, like when, for the beginning of the movie, like how to design the music, he said, 
Fincher told him he wanted him you to feel, you, the audience, to feel you were completely fucked within five minutes and that there is no hope completely. Yeah, I mean, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Um, this film opens a disappointing number two, mm-hmm. uh, $23 million. Not bad for Not bad. an R-rated movie in 1992. No. Uh, it makes opens to 23 but only makes 54 Mm-hmm. Uh, which is pretty poor legs for the time. Yeah. But it did make $158 million worldwide. Successful. Which is similar to Aliens. Yeah. It just made most of it overseas. Right. Yeah. Did well and overseas. Overseas, I think they later. truly had the vibe of like, we could piss against the right. wall. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. back it's, then. It's seven years later, so the money's going a little... the a little Inflation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it is certainly seen as a bomb. Yeah. What is beating it, Griffin? It's an action sequel holding on to the number one spot. In With, in my opinion, oh. the greatest poster of all time. Oh, I, uh, it's Lethal, uh, Weapon, Lethal Weapon, Weapon 3. That's right. The magic is back again. The magic is back with, again. With, yeah. uh, is it with Pesci, Joe Pesci poking right. his head out? Yes, right. that and, is and a the good arrow poster. Pointing down. Yeah. There's Pesci. Yeah. Ben, Ben, look at Pesci. Ben, ben look at Pesci. Look at Pesci, please. There he Take is. Take a peek at the Pesci. That is Pesh. a good poster. That's great. Just the idea of like, they're just like, just run back the fucking Lethal Weapon 2 poster, <laughs> yeah. but just magic is back again. Get Pesci. Yeah. And right, yeah. The did magic we, did is they back even take again. a new picture? Of, no. uh, I don't of think they did. Glover. No. 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 They might not have. They they took the old pictures, they printed them out on cardboard, and they had <laughs> Pesci show up in studio and stand behind the cardboard stand. <laughs> um,. Yeah, the, ma- the magic weapon back again. three. I couldn't tell you much about that one. That's the one I That's haven't the magic seen. Is the one with yeah. the most pesky. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Right. I've seen one, two, and four. I haven't seen three. It is Donner. That, is that the one where they introduce Rene Russo's They're character? All yes. yes. Okay. So They're like. All Donner, so- you're right. So he. That's. I mean. That's all I could tell you about it. Is that she yeah. has the relationship with Gibson and right. like she's. What is she? An internal affairs Sounds agent? Right. Maybe. Maybe. She's in four. She well. comes back in four. I think they might get married. Or she's might. pregnant. I think she something? gets pregnant. Pregnant, maybe. Yeah. Four she's is definitely... about will he settle down? Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Four is a wild movie. Well, four is just where they're just like Chris Rock, do five minutes. Like right. Yeah. Like where yeah. they're just like yes. I don't know. Let's just let's do stupid shit. They four may have had time. less of a script than Alien <laughs> yeah. Three when say, they started that. Four is a true example of Warner Brothers being like, we fucked up. We have no summer movie. Like shit. Right. Just get the magic back again, again. Right. And they basically <laughs> like started filming in March, and the movie right. came out in July. Right. <laughs> and the trailer ends with like Chris Rock direct to camera being like Lethal Weapon Four in theaters. It's me, Mel Gibson, like just doing bits to camera. Yeah, man. Because they just like they had shot four days at of the that time point. being like, "What? Well, dig it, please. What yeah, is it looks this?" Looks incredible. <laughs> like, yeah. All right, Lethal Weapon Three, number one. Okay. Alien Three, number two. Yeah. Number three. There are three movies opening this week that are big. This wow. is a treacly romantic drama. Is it Dying Young? No. Am I in the right ballpark? What would the ballpark be for Dying Young? Uh, no. I mean, that's a Joel Schumacher movie. Movies Robert Die movies. Young? Oh, right, because um, there's a different Joel this summer. Uh, okay. Yes. Um, it's, I would say it's like arguably the worst film in this guy's career, apart from like some of the shit he made recently-ish. So is it a Rob Reiner? No. No, I mean the, the star. It oh. Is, the director is a, a Hollywood journeyman who still works to this day. He's made good movies. He's made bad movies. He's won an Oscar. Ron um, Howard? Ron Howard. Is it Far and Away? Far and Away. Far and Away. It's the, it's, like, I, it's the Tom Cruise movie where I'm just like, you don't need to see it. Yeah. Not even if it's, you're I don't honest. think I ever have. Yeah. I'm trying to it think. It stinks. It's Far and Away, his worst movie. <laughs> 
Uh, and they're all doing the, the accent fucking accent. The accent. Great. I should have remembered because I did watch uh, the Siskel and, yeah. Siskel and Ebert uh, review, and they're coming up next, and they show like a clip of Tom yeah. Cruise with the accent, and I was like, hey, yeah, yeah. It's at the level of when I do an accent without any prep at the opening of this episode. It is exactly that. Yeah. And it's also just one of those movies where you're like, why did this come out in May? Like, yeah. you know, this is like a sort just, of cruise and Kidman. Cruise, Oscar cruise and Kidman. Cruise and Kidman were Kidman. so, yeah. had so much juice. It has the stupidest fucking title. Oh, far and away. Far and away. It's not based on anything. It's just some asshole wrote a fucking script. <laughs> that, that, that is wow. A, that is a perfect Take example. That, someone, writers. On, someone on Reddit was was uh, poking this up again, but movies that feel like they were based on books. Right, but it's not. just like, how is this not based on some fucking book? Some guy's book? like, I don't know, what if, you it, know, Irish it immigrants. It should be based on something. Yeah, some you are right about that. just sat down and typed <laughs> exterior <laughs> Ireland. <laughs> Far and away. Now, number four at the box office, uh-huh. a film I think Ben Far probably away. enjoys. Probably. Mm-hmm. Dennis the Menace? Uh, no, mm-hmm. comedy film. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, starring a recent Oscar winner. Okay. Um, How many films sort of a fish out of water film. Fish out of water film. Mm-hmm. Where is it, will it spoil it to say what water the fish is in? Uh, or he's wh- in what, California. what the dry land is? California. California. Modern day California. Is it Encino Man? Encino. Oh. Great fucking masterpiece. Oh. Encino man. A masterpiece. They dug up a man. Yeah. It's Brendan Fraser yeah, and, Brendan and Fraser. someone's backyard. Do you remember the sequel tease at the end Is of that movie? Is this where uh, B- Barry Jeans comes from? You subconsciously, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Subconsciously, yeah. Man yes. going, yeah. Do you remember the the like the like tease at the end of that movie, Ben? No. So the way they realize that he's come back to life is they like get home. I think they're looking for wherever the buried ice block was or whatever, right? Right. And then they see like his handprints and face print that are muddy on the side of their giant like glass picture windows of their suburban home. And they're like, fuck, he's out. He's escaped. Right? Right. Yeah. At the end of the movie, there's a thing where they get back to the home and they think everything's settled or whatever. And then they see a similar print, but it also has boobs. Yes. Oh, yeah. And they're like, Encino woman? Woman. And I remember watching it and then turning to my dad and on, like on TV, you know, on TBS or whatever and going like, so did they make a sequel? Are they going to make a sequel? Because I was just so into the idea that her boobs Boobs were out. Mm-hmm. The right, you were like, it's, well, the sequel will address this. Right, so I'm like, sequel will start with <laughs> top nudity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Encino Man, famously in, in Britain, was called California uh, I Man. I was just looking oh, at Wikipedia. Wow. Because I think no they were like, California no, Man. No one yeah. in Britain knows who fucking Encino is. You can't call a country after like a neighborhood, basically. A, I know Encino is poster. a town on Twitter. It's, a, it's yeah. a great poster. It's I where the poster. Stone Age Dude, meets the Rock I have Age. So, I have so many comic books from the 90s because I was a comic book reader as a child. And this the, was a classic movie poster there in comic books. There was an ad for Encino Man in every one of them. Yes. Just, right. It was like, it was Inside like, if cover. no one else, you're coming to see this, right? And, I, and guess what? Yeah, I sure did. Were. I sure did. Now, Matt, you said where the Stone Age meets the Rock Age. We yes. should acknowledge this is a classic uh, three taglines poster. Oh, wait a the second. The second tagline is... Oh. A chillin' new comedy in full Neander vision. Very good. Okay. Very good. And then the third tagline is thawing this summer at of a course. theater near you. Absolutely. I like that they spelled theater T H E A T R E. I do too. Classy. Theater. Cla- theater. Classy. Um, yeah. Obviously, Encino Man came up because uh, Brendan Fraser and Kehu Kwan are both in it. Yes. Uh, That's so it came right. up a lot it came during up on the, the Oscar season yep. circuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brendan Fraser, good in Encino Man. Great in Encino Man. Number five of the box office. One of the Holly biggest best hits of the spring, now summer, 
Uh, we've covered it on this podcast. We've covered it on this podcast. What genre is the picture? Thriller. Dun, dun, dun. Is it Point Break? No, it's an erotic thriller. Dun, dun, dun. Is it Basic Instinct? Basic Instinct. Uh-huh. Dun, dun, dun. Um, has made a hundred million dollars in ten weeks. A real. Wow. It's more than hit. I make in a month. Yeah. Uh, hit. Yes. Basic Instinct. Uh, you've also got another film I'm sure Ben likes at the mm. time, Beethoven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that yep. do- that dog yep. too yep. big. <laughs> It big. Groden too grumpy. Dog too big. Groden too grumpy. Everyone drooling. Yeah. Um, the head of the family is the one with the tail. Who slobbers the, uh, more? The dog alien or Beethoven? Mm-hmm. So close. 50-50, Very yeah. close. Yeah. Um, you've also got Disney's Beauty and the Beast, which seems to have been pushed back into theaters uh, many weeks later uh, uh, on a thousand screens. Interesting. Uh, you've got Robert Altman's The Player. A masterpiece. Absolutely. You've got um, Ron Shelton's White Man Camp Jump. Pretty good movie. A pretty mm-hmm. fucking fantastic movie. Uh, and you've got a little comedy by the name of Wayne's World. Oh, oh, God. Uh, which ben is, is uh, pretty. That's just what I'm saying. Yeah, like, for real. Seriously, you could just be like bouncing between Encino Man and yeah. Beethoven and Wayne's World. I'm just taking one hot VHS tape after another, throwing it to the side. Uh, <laughs> They're red. They're smoking. Bull- They're just... <laughs> Ejecting them like a fucking bullet cartridge. <laughs> what week is Wayne's World in? Wayne's World I was is in its that 15th too. week. Wow. Because that uh, did not come out in the no, summer. No, that was like a Feb release? Yes, it's made $113 million. Wow, and it's man. got 7 million more to make. It's not done. Man. What a picture. Uh, it is a great film, it's Wayne's pr- World. I, th- I think it is truly a classic. Like, I think a Wayne's World 2 is movie. funny, stupid bullshit, but I think yes. Wayne's World 1 is like great. I think Wayne's World 2 is a great American film. Oh, you think Wayne's World 2 is a great uh, no, American I'm sorry. Film. I'm well, sorry. Yeah. I think Wayne's World 1 2 is pretty is, dumb, right? Yes, 2 is dumb. Yeah. But it's funny. It's got it's fun funny. stuff in it. It's, it's got funny. Fun stuff. Yeah. It's got Charlton Heston. That Wait, bit always makes me Wayne, laugh. Wayne Stock. Wayne's World 1 is. Yeah. Wayne's World 1 is like profound. Yeah. I think Wayne's World 1 rules. Like our friend, the friend of the show, Rob Shear. Yeah. Uh, posited a, a question that has stuck with me, and I think he might be right. You're like, is Wayne's World the only like mainstream studio comedy in basically a 20 year span, uh-huh. the 10 years before and after, sure. that has no gay bashing in it? it they mm. do, because even Bill and Ted has that yeah. moment where you're like, ah, God damn it. Yep. There's almost always the one, or there's a moment where a gay character's introduced and they sort of like side eye the camera. Sure, or there's something. I mean, yeah. I look, I can't, I, this but is not a science. I can't no, of look. Of course. But no, it's common that there are jokes in comedies yes. from the 90s and 80s. Right. That I make think starting your, in the 80s into uh, the hurt. late 2000s. Now, Wayne's World does have um, what's his pants always going, I love you, man. But I think that's so funny. I don't think that's no. Really, I know, and it's yeah. like you can't say like thank you. You have to say I know or whatever, right? right? Like I can't say that that's my thing. You watch that movie and you're just waiting for like what's the thing that's aged poorly? And I think basically none of it has. Yeah, I, I, I literally when I saw Rob that, Lowe's in it, aged perfectly. <laughs> when. <laughs> When I saw that movie in the theater, I literally laughed so hard I actually fell out of my chair. Like yeah. that cliche, yeah. I literally laughed so hard I fell out of my chair. That's my At memory. The scene with the product placement. Right. First off, I fell out of my me. chair in the theater. Yeah. Do you know who's so fucking funny in Wayne's World? Everybody. Yes. Uh, Ed, Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill. He's so uh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. God, That's thing. Stan Mikita's donuts. That always got me the most. I was watching Stan Mikita's donuts. We, his Such monologue. a Chicago joke. Yes. Yeah, his monologue, yeah. Um, no, I was watching, because uh, we recently lost him, but there was a really good YouTube cut 
of Alan Arkin's entire uncredited performance and So I Married an Axe Murderer. Oh, yeah. Which is basically like nine minutes, three scenes, is a perfect comedic game across three beats. Right. That is just like a master class. And you're like, there's that thing in the fucking Mike Myers movies when he was cooking where he could give Ed O'Neill four minutes to just eviscerate. And not just eviscerate, but be like, there's an entire world here. This guy could be his whole movie. And instead, we're just getting this little glimpse into this life. Did you watch the Pentaveret? I watched the Pentaveret. I tried to. And you uh, tapped out of that one? I think I watched one episode. I think I made it to the end of the first episode. I watched all of the Pentaveret because it came out the day after I tested positive for COVID. Mm. And I would say the Pentaveret was the second worst thing that happened to me that week. Okay, good. In terms of like harm to my body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Who, and then we should be done. Who has more money? Mike Myers, Mm. who made Wayne's World and Austin Powers. And Shrek. And And Shrek. And Shrek. 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 Actually, Shrek probably ruins it. I forgot about Shrek. Or, but I just want to say, sure. or Ed O'Neill, uh-huh. who is on two sitcoms Massive that have been syndicated, syndicated out the ass yes. for like 10 seasons a piece. Yes. It might be, it still might be close. It's probably Mike Myers because of Shrek. I forgot that Shrek, the paydays are so massive and then the residuals and like, Right, know. that was the thing. That was like the one time where they paid out the nose for the voice talent and gave them really fucking good deals. Um, but Ed O'Neill is just one of those guys where you're like, does that guy live on the moon? Like, he right. must be so rich. They also right. talk about because everyone else was pretty untested in Modern Family. He was the, the, the top paid he performer on Modern top, Family. He, he basically always was. And even when all they right. all negotiated together, are you looking up Celebrity the Celebrity Net Worth pegs him at 65. Is, and yes. he's always right. At, and always right. And Myers at 200. So Myers, I, I forgot about Shrek. Yeah. You can't, you can't really beat Shrek. I think Shrek's the, the big thing. And, and the other difference is that, like, Mike Myers has, like, underlying ownership of those characters yeah, right he's, he's he's got all kinds of stuff he's, going on. he's an all-star so to speak yeah. right yeah, yeah. hey now hey he, he puts the show and he gets paid might as well be walking on the sun it's different, it's different, different yeah. yeah um my spotify recently served that one up to now me. i'm a believer and i was like wait you think i want to fuck <laughs> like, you know when spotify is yeah. like we're just playing like you want walking on the sun by yeah. smash mouth You're and like, i'm like what did no I do? Yeah. <laughs> what hey hey <laughs> you piece of shit you want this fucking garbage <laughs> I, I, I don't. Because like, our computer innocent. knows you better than we do, and we're telling you you want this shit. <sighs> All right. Um, that's it. We're done. We've wasted enough of Matt's time. Matt. Um, thank you book. for coming here, Matt. Right here. Oh, yeah. On your desk. On our yes, desk. Yes, everyone here. can see. Wait, where's the camera yeah. so I can point it at uh-huh. it in here? Mm-hmm. Hold it up. That's it. Right there. Okay. okay. Hold it up to the, the mic and flip through the pages. Let's hear what that book sounds like. Ooh. Ooh, well, listen to that. Uh, yeah. Ooh. That's nice. Um, this is a book about Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> Producers thrilled. Um, one of my favorite YouTube rabbit holes. I when I can't sleep, they're one of my go-to's of just watching uh, random interviews, compilations. They're they're your end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it the best. Oh, uh, I went way down that rabbit hole. What what was sort of your angle in approaching this book? Uh, I just well, I wanted to read it, so mm. I wrote it. That is a great call. It's a great. I, because I was a huge fan of Siskel and Ebert growing up. That was my ultimate upset. Like, almost more than the movies themselves, yeah. I liked the show first. And that was my gateway to liking movies, really. Was I watched the show and then became interested in the movies they were talking about. But well, at first, it yeah. was almost more the show. They popularized a certain type of film discussion. 
you know? Or just film discussion on television, in period. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in yeah. really any any significant in, sense. In terms of, like, right. a critical sense of, like, yeah, as a means of doing film criticism. And they have this complicated legacy of, of people who argue that they kind of, like, diminish the thing by placing it on TV, reducing mm-hmm. everything to the thumbs up, thumbs down. But then you think about the level of, like, nuanced discourse they were able to fit into very short segments that were not dumbed down. You know, they have to fit five reviews in per episode or whatever. Mm -hmm. And also the amount of films that they not only boosted, but like made the reputations of single-handedly. You know, films like Hoop Dreams and Dreams by You and all these ones that just like basically were... Dark City. Yeah, were minted by these guys, either reclaimed by them or or sort of... Dark City was just Ebert, but that's okay. But But, I mean, I just remember that being one of the late, like him making it number one. You're like, Ebert made that as number one. Shit, I guess I should see it. And he did like a commentary track for it. Not a bad Similarly with Bay Pig in the City. Bay Pig in the City, obviously. Siskel's final final best of movie, yeah. Yeah. Siskel had some great... He had like Crumb one year, right? He had like one false move. Like, he's... We don't talk about Siskel enough. We don't, and that was another— Because Ebert is such a legend right, for right. good reason. You know. right. And was and a that, better print— Better writer. Critic. He, right. was, he right. was, Yes, he was a better wordsmith. And also he has, which is wonderful, he has his, like, basically entire archive yes. still lives and, online, right. where if you want to search, you can type in Roger Ebert, Alien 3, and you right. can read his yes. review. You can watch— Such cool stuff is more decentralized. It's yeah. just hard to find. It's just There's just not as much available. But, like, I've always considered him just, like, when I was a teenager, he was, like, a starter critic for me. Not that he's not a good critic generally, Mm -hmm. but just, like, when I watched, like, La Ventura and then I read his review in the great movies, and I was like, this is helping me process something I can barely understand when I'm, like, 15 years old. Like, the perfect uh, personality balance between those two guys. Do you know this, Matt, that when we started the show, and it was originally just a Star Wars thing, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. Ben was like, I think you guys have something here. You should come up with a name. Do more movie stuff. You need a right. name you need a name you know, that yeah. is more general than the phantom podcast where right. we can go from here and we were like like what and ben's top pitch do you want to say it ben um do you even remember it i remember, I it, remember it because yeah. at one point our email account was registered under this name oh. it was griffel and simsburg <laughs> 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 which is especially funny given that it's your first name and my last name yep. but uh i do think it rolls off the tongue well, it better is i don't it- think david burt <laughs> no it doesn't worked. i know i know you made the right call is yeah. it too late to, to go with <laughs> no it's never too late. i don't think so 10 year anniversary we're gonna if, rebrand if we had recordings of those early you know there's some moment where i'm like griffin like i definitely we've, talk, said we've it. talked it over <laughs> it wasn't an immediate discard no, we had no, no better idea it was by default the leading candidate oh, yeah boy, oh boy, oh boy. i don't hate it griffin um, <laughs> but uh, God bless Siskel and Ebert, who yeah. both left us at this point, obviously. Very excited to read ago. the book. Yeah. Uh, I'm very excited. To read. Yeah, what is the format of the book? Is it just you reviewing every single review they did? I, and yes, you give a been, thumbs up or thumbs down on the review. It's 18 million that, pages that long. That document yeah. that I have on <laughs> yes. my computer just reprinted? No, yeah. it's, um, it kinda, it's a little bit of a bio of each one, but uh-huh. then it's largely about the making of the show, how they did it, um, their relationship, a lot right. of their relationship, some of the stuff about their, the criticism of them is, yes. is a, yeah, how they they're dumbing it down, they're dumbing Two down criticism, up, you know, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, uh, do you get into Roper? <laughs> yes, there Sorry is actually laugh. the last chapter, the last full chapter is the show after yeah. um, oh, Siskel, so and then after, after Ebert Ebert. had to depart as well. There's a whole chapter just on, and I interviewed every single 
Michael and all of the Tony, every co-host, Eggnotti and, and, and later, Christy Lamar and, yeah, and Lions and Ben Mangowitz. Hey, they're all you got Lions Ignati? Yes, didn't Ignati? Ignati yeah, I spoke yeah. to Ignati. Yes, I spoke uh, Christy Lamar. They're all didn't did Tony Scott do like yeah, he, it was, I, yeah, yeah, yeah Tony Scott yeah. and, and I Michael spoke with him and Michael yes. Phillips. Yes. yes, so they're all yeah, so they're all in there. Yeah, wow. and then the back of the book. The one other thing I would say is the last I made an appendix called Buried Treasures that Siskel and Ebert loved because uh, the other thing I was a big fan of mm. um, as a kid was like the Malton Guide, the Ebert yeah, Guides, yeah. and I just wanted oh, to do something too. like that. Oh, yeah. cool. And so, yes, they have movies like Hoop Dreams that they really made. Yeah. But because I watched every episode I could fit, find and recorded everything, there was these movies where even me, I'm going, what is this movie that they yeah. gave two thumbs up to and sometimes put on a top 10 list and I've never even heard of it? And so I took the twenty-five Schindler's List. Yeah, that was I, I, that one was blew my mind. What's that? So this I movie made about a list. So I made like my own almost like a oh, guide yeah, like of cows. like the twenty-five yes. movies that are not super well known that right. they gave two thumbs up to that are really cool and worth checking out. There's like a '90s Barbara Hershey one. I remember watching an interview of them being like just over the moon about how fucking good it was. That I feel like doesn't exist. Hell yeah, shy people. 87. I've heard of shy people. They Why? were just like all about shy people. Hershey and Clayberg. Yeah. The big two. Martha Plimpton. Plimpton. I have, I, I, big according crush. to my notes here, only Ebert gave it thumbs up. Interesting. Fuck. Siskel thumbs down. Okay. I On an episode where they also reviewed switching channels. Yep. And God created women. It must be a re-release, that's maybe? A, I'll say that's a, a very horny review. And The House on Carol The Street. Roger Verdim movie? Yes. They're like, check out this fucking horny-ass Roger Verdim movie from 30 years maybe ago? Maybe it was re-released, yeah. or maybe there's yeah. another movie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you really are aggressive. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Just so. Just be like, look. Sorry. By the way, I've been. Sorry to fact check. No, you, no, 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 this, no, no. Literally, it's. Uh, I think it was more just. I guess she had one best actress at Con that year, and they just talk a lot about how insane that performance is. Um, final question: mm -hmm. Do you touch on the Good Burger review at all? That is my single favorite Siskel Niebert clip. Mm, so that's the know. one where I invoke it once a year. You have invoked it before. But it it is uh it is a they start arguing over the quality of the movie right where Ebert doesn't even seemingly really like the movie that much sure but he takes umbrage with the fact that Siskel says the characters in the movie are dumb right he's mm. like they run a burger restaurant like how dumb could they be right he's like they fool the bad guy they solve the plot of the movie. <laughs> And Siskel says, of course they solve the plot of the movie. They're the hero of the picture. And he goes, but you have to take for granted. Within the text of the film, they're smart enough to figure it out. And they get into this whole thing where, like, Siskel's like, why are you taking this so seriously? And he's like, you have to meet the movie on the grounds that it's, like, presenting right. itself to you. The, the clip becomes an argument for how you perceive movies. Right. So I don't think that one is in here. I will okay. figure out Gotta a way to put it, it in the next edition. Please. But, the, yeah. but it might be its own chapter. I do. There is chapters about, like, how they review movies and how some Sometimes, like, the, the reviews become, as you're saying, yeah. become much more about, like, the art of talking about a movie than they are about any specific movie. And what you're looking for when you critique a film. Yeah. Because um, they had such different approaches to these yes. things. Well, thank you for being here. It's always my a pleasure. Very excited this to read your book. Very, uh, very excited to read the book. So very excited. The last couple work. times You've also been... got other books people can yeah, read. Yeah, the Spider-Man sure? book you came on last time. That's right. You plugged uh, last time you were on the show. That's right. Talking about Spider-Man. Um, things. 
the the last couple of times there has been a tie-in fast food menu we have tried to coordinate me going with you for we the have. trip and it hasn't worked and i appreciate that you still like there's less send me the days. invite there is there's been a resurgence they're back there was the spider-verse whopper, Spider-verse whopper. and then what was the one before that that we were trying to make happen the despicable minions it was like two rise menu? of Gru, maybe it was the rise of Gru. the menu rise of at ihop poison gun <laughs> yeah you're just like give it to me and they're like it, it, you will die in my mouth you will yeah. be killed by this and you're yes. like that's fine we'll make we'll have to go to brazil to try the bar- have you seen the barbie it looks fucking good the barbie burger barbie and the barbie burger. shake where they they just cooked you a barbie just yeah. they, Pink, they, her up. they put Goo. another shrimp Goo on the barbie boy. jesus it's only in brazil yeah apparently yeah right. but maybe if we com- ask hard enough they'll ship it to us they'll, well, they'll belly. just quarantine they'll just, just they'll no. bring it over here I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there should be a turtles menu in August. Like that yeah. feels right. They've well, they have doing... like frozen pizzas. Was, yeah. yeah, there's. They have their own line. It's not even like yeah, oh, Tombstone yeah. is Ninja no, Turtles no, branded. They, they, they did it all themselves. Yeah. And then have you seen the thing there's at the AMC Ninja... theaters? No. They're like there's like a, a special Ninja Turtle slushy. Oh boy. Uh, icy uh, flavor, but they're also adding a thing where you can like buy green pop rocks and like mutinize any beverage. We should do that, and it makes it green and glowing. Mm. You put it, it in any other del- soda. It sounds delicious. Yeah. They just have this poster now at all the AMC theaters. It's three different radioactive-looking beverage cups. You have to go see Oppenheimer. You have to go at, see at some point. Yeah. All right, get yeah. out of here. Come on, we're done. Wrap get us out of up. here. Come on, we're done. Uh, Wrap us up. You can. Uh, Check out uh, Matt's book. There'll be a link to the pre-order yes, in absolutely. the also description. Yes. Possible thumbs. So. Yeah. Great title. Do you have an audiobook? I mean, Are you doing the audiobook? I, it hasn't been settled yet, but I want to do the audiobook. Shouldn't I do it? You should. Yeah, why not? Let's why put not? our thumb on that scale. Yeah. Matt should do the audiobook. Yeah. Uh, thank you for being here, Matt. My pleasure. Thank you all for listening. We're going to have a fun ride ahead of us with Fincher. Uh, yeah. A fun ride into the depths of how bad humanity is. But... All these movies be good. His main thesis: people are perfect. I, I look. I'm literally reading the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo trilogy right now. Jesus. That's how pumped I am for this series. You've been amped. You've you want to do this one for a while. Finchy, Finchy. We we didn't even make any. We love to Finchman jokes, but we do love to Finchman. Well, I was about to say, we have great admiration for the man named Fincher. Yes. Uh, tune in next week for seven, 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 seven. sir. C seven and yes, no, it's just seven. seven. Time on screen is seven. Seven. Uh, thank you to Marie Barty for yep. our social media and helping to produce the show. Thank you to AJ McKeon, Alex Barron for our editing, JJ Burtz for our research, Lay Montgomery in the Great American Novel for our theme song, Joe Bowen and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. You can go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some more real nerdy shit, including our Patreon, where right now we are doing the Brosnan Bond movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. We are, uh, well, actually, we just kind of have wrapped up very recently with Ocean's 8. Okay. And then tomorrow is our Alien versus Predators episode. Oh, that's right. Enjoy right. that. And then Perfect we're going to into this. this. Yeah. Right. Yes. And then, of course, then we'll be starting, as you said, the Brosnan. Starting the Brosnan Bonds. We'll also be doing the Fincher um, uh, music video episode, as we said, uh, coming next month, I believe. Correct. October 11th. And also, good time to plug. We, of course, uh, after three years, we, we take all our Patreon stuff behind uh, the paywall. So you can sign up for a free Patreon membership where you'll be notified every 10 days when an old episode gets made public, including... Uh, I think pretty soon the Alien franchise commentaries will be coming up a little bit later this year. You are absolutely right. Uh, we'll 
begin in October. Yeah, right about this time. That's right. Look at that. Wow. Synergy. Synergy. Uh, to next week for... Uh, for another episode of Griffel and Simsburg. I'm saying it's not too late. That is a good title. See? 